Welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jessica. I am Mikey. And we are back with part part four of season three. Yeah, I got a thing right. Big episode today, I'd say. We have some really iconic yeah. moments. We see some more familiar faces. You get a, yeah, you get a lot of care. Like, you'd think for a show like this, it's a limited series event, you wouldn't get like half of your characters yeah. introduced in the fourth episode. Well, and also... Con- it feels... It, this really wraps up this introduction, I feel like. This yeah. four-part introduction, like, feels like... Like, if this were, in fact, an 18-hour movie, mm-hmm. this would be the cold open. You know what I mean? Like, sure. here's the groundwork for sure. pretty much everything. Yeah, because this episode nothing really happens in this episode. Like, we meet some people, we establish a lot of things. Like, besides the Cooper mystery when they go to South Dakota, other than that, like, everybody's just sort of introducing themselves and reintroducing themselves. Yeah, (laughs) It's in, like, Bobby Briggs has the line, uh, brings back memories, brings back some memories, which is also what Showtime decided to call this episode, Mm. which I feel like it's kind of apt just because this so far feels the most like Twin Peaks as we knew it. I, I completely agree. This, it, and there's a couple more episodes that are in this vein, mm-hmm. but episode one was a total departure from Twin Peaks. Right. You kind of get tidbits of it. And we like basically just we spend a lot of time in Twin Peaks mm-hmm. in this episode, which we, haven't, we haven't yet. Yeah, we've gotten glimpses of it, but we haven't really spent any time there. And there's just some goofiness, some silliness, and but also some dark stuff, and uh-huh. they they really balance each other stuff. really well. This feels the most like Twin Peaks so far, right? That the old Twin Peaks, I should say. It's all still Twin Peaks, obviously. Right, right, exactly. Um, okay, are we ready to just dive in then? I believe so. So wait, does every part or episode of this is it a pull quote from the episode is it like how how we title things kind of okay yeah every yeah they're all but showtime did it cool just to no yeah to be clear we did not title these no well no i mean it wasn't like scripted that way or something like that it was all done by showtime marketing after the fact okay so here we go so we started at the silver mustang casino um, Agent Cooper continues to win jackpot at every slot machine he uses, earning him the na- nickname Mr. Jackpots. He is approached by, did not know this was her name, Bill and Candy Shaker. Mm-hmm. So we're all fine with her name being Candy Shaker. And we're going to get another candy later, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, you get the just a great little like um, moment with. Sabrina Sutherland, who plays the floor manager, right, and like a couple of like high level security personnel, um, just reacting to him and just watching him being like, "How how how many of these? He's yeah, he's won twenty nine mega jackpots. Oh, 30. thirty! Like just oh my god, what do we do about this? And then he just like keeps, you know." jumping around in new machines and it's just a great and the shot it's all you just keep hearing stuff going on in the background uh-huh. and it's just this beautiful tableau of all of them standing there where you get Brett Gelman who is just, like the floor boss I have at this point forgot that Brett Gelman is primarily a comic actor yeah. because 
He, he's he's great in this. He's great in uh, the Fleabag. Fle- yeah, like, I just rewatched Fleabag the the second season for probably the fifth yeah. time, and he's such a good scumbag. Yeah, but like I literally was like I was I'm second guessing myself right now. Like Josh Gethman, like he's a comic, right? Like, like a stand up comic, not yeah. just like oh he got to start doing comedy movies. Right. Like he's just a he's a guy who's got a future yeah. if he wants to pursue like real he, acting. It, it like to the, there's a handful of actors, and he is approaching that that I have trouble separating them from the scumbags they play. Yeah, which I'm sure is a problem. I feel like we watched AP Bio that wasn't as bad, but the um, Dennis character from uh, uh, from Always Glenn Sunny, Howerton. Glenn yeah. Howerton, like, J- and I know that he's the only one who didn't use his real name of those three guys in Always Sunny in Philadelphia because he knew oh. he was going to be playing a scumbag yeah. and didn't <laughs> purposely didn't did not want to use his real name. <laughs> and I have to actively remind myself, like, he is not an actual horrible rapist scumbag. Yeah. Although, who fucking knows? I know. don't think. <laughs> I, yeah. To my, to my knowledge. <laughs> he has not been outed as such yet. <laughs> right. Um, but, and then the other one being, um, just wanted to mention Dave Desmalchin. Who is? I'm excited to see him blowing up now because he. I actually. This is the like we were talking oh, about. Oh, I met yes, him yes. circa 2007, probably. Um, he was in a play, a small like 20 theater like or 20 seat play. theater play. Yeah. 20 theater play. <laughs> yeah, he, he just would jump theater to theater. <laughs> it was incredible. Really a, a great undertaking. And no, it was like a 20 seat theater that he was in with a friend of mine and my friend that friend of mine hired me on to film that play for whatever reason I don't know if he I don't remember if the the show wanted a copy for something or Maybe he was- wanted it for his own demo reel or mm. I don't remember why but they hired me on to like to get a couple of cameras and film it. Was it just like family's night where there were a lot of other families camcorders set up like in <laughs> no, high school? I had, yeah, I, I had a, a few cameras, but I set them up like I had a little three camera set up to, to a wide shot, a medium shot, and then a floating shot. Um, but yeah, he that, was... That's why people tune into this podcast to hear the camera set up for your play. For the play from 2007 starring <laughs> Dave Dismalchen, yes. Right? Am I wrong? That's not why people are tuning it's in? It's really good I no. edit this um, but it was, But it was fun because... He was one of those people, we watched the show, and it was, like, he was one of those people who stood out as being, like, this guy's better than this show. Yeah. Like, no offense to, like, my friend, who was perfectly good in it, but, like... Which, weirdly, second time he's come up in this podcast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> We haven't talked haven't, about him no, in We haven't years. talked to him in, yeah, 10 years, probably. <laughs> um, but, I like, I've seen several friends' plays before, and sometimes they're really good. Sometimes there's several people who are really good. Rarely, like, they always talk about that when you hear about, you know, Belushi or... Sure. These people are like, oh, you saw him at Second City, and you're like, this guy's going to be... This guy's better than this. Yeah. And I remember thinking that at the time for this kid, this Dave Dismalchen guy, like, he's better than this show. And I don't know what it is. I don't know why. I don't know. But he was good. And then we all went out, like, afterward and got drinks and hung out or whatever. So I hung out a bit with him that night. But then, like, oh, he was in The Dark Knight. And then now, all of a sudden, he's, like, he's, he's in all working. the Ant-Man movies. He's he, he always plays a creepy guy. He's really good at creepy. Yeah. Did you explain who... You just said the actor's name. He plays, like, the pit boss or something? Oh, yeah. He's one of the... He's, like, probably second in, in command to Brett Gelman. Yeah. He's one of the four people in that tableau yeah, shot. Yeah, like, dark... 
yeah he's yeah the skinny guy with dark dark black hair Mm -hmm. he put yeah he's the russian guy in ant-man i'm trying to think now is has that ever happened to you like in real life that you saw somebody in a play or in a comedy show in chicago and thought oh yeah yeah yeah, this person's gonna like blow up and they not necessarily blew up but like oh yeah yeah they got shit done i guess matt and uh justin jack and justin jack and justin would be kind of doing well they yeah we did you know they were friends of friends when we did stuff they currently are um directing uh we're doing stand against evil on ifc i think yeah okay yeah. um but they would like write and direct that i grew up in high school with parvesh who yeah. parvesh china from... who's a great working actor he's currently on connecting which is a mm-hmm. uh nbc show yeah. mikey's rewatching crazy ex-girlfriend he has yeah he's in crazy ex-girlfriend he's he was he was hilarious in outsourced, uh, outsourced which wasn't was a great not a show, hilarious show <laughs> but he it's hard to know if he was a genuine standout or if it's just that like i mm-hmm. am biased because i he was a friend of mine in high school yeah um but yeah there i mean there's there's a handful of people nobody i know that what like you know is yeah. Brad Pitt or whatever you know no, what I mean? no 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 of course um but yeah I know a lot of people or we've met a lot of people through you know Chicago sure. in that era who were working who were just get you know Missy our friend Missy who we, I did a web series with and I, she did a lot of improv stuff was like really good friends with Alex Moffat from uh, SNL oh I didn't know that. um. Like yeah, I there's feel like people like there's connections, but yeah, I'm kind of surprised no. that nobody because I did stand up for a few years, and then like you and I would just go see comedy shows. Like you know, we mm-hmm. lived in Chicago, oh, yeah. and that was just a thing we did. I'm genuinely shocked nobody we've at least seen in passing ended up on like an SNL type thing. You know what I mean? Like I just feel like in like law of large numbers, I mean, we saw enough comedy shows. I saw enough. Stand up comedy. I mean, like TJ Miller. I, I, but I'm, yeah, I guess that's a good point. He, I mean, he's Silicon Valley yeah. and all yeah, this yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like, he got huge. I saw, um, Kamel Nanjiani uh-huh. when he opened for Zach Galifianakis. Hmm. And this would have been 2006, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a long time ago. And then you tweeted at each other back and forth while mm-hmm. we watched The Big Sick in mm-hmm. the Theater. So I you're super him, tight. I asked That's him like about that. Two interactions. <laughs> two connections. I, no, we saw The Big Sick, which is Kamel's movie in theaters, and there was a huge storm, and the movie kept stopping. Yeah, the power kept going out. Power kept going out. Kept going out. And stuff, oh, like. it was awful. Um, and at one and. Kumail was like obviously very. He was, it was opening weekend for the movie. Was it opening too, weekend? Which is why I think he was so. On I think he was of. very much like anytime anybody would tweet, like Jordan Peele's kind of similar. If you tweet at Jordan Peele about his movies, he'll like it. Like he'll at least yeah. engage. Um, but I said something about or like, oh, I'd love to watch The Big Sick, but power's out. And Kumail's like, oh my God, I hope everything's okay. And I was like, yeah, I don't yeah, know. You owe me 12 bucks. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, they told me I have to get my 12 bucks back from you. So do you, do you want my Venmo? And he said, are you grifting me? And it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Whoo, boy, that was 10 anyway, unusable minutes. All that is to say, I filmed a show of David Smelchins and it was called Metaluna. That's all I remember about it. I don't remember a lot of things. It was I remember liking it. Yeah. Anyway, and then we hung out afterward for a little bit. 
I bet if I dug through all my old like DV tapes somewhere, I've got a copy of it. Did you say DV tapes? Digital video tapes, like oh, from boy, a camera. I forgot how old you are. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, all right, okay. So they're approached by Bill and Candy Shaker, who believe so we're Just in the casino. Ethan Supley, which is another like the actor. Ethan Supley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, he's from like all the Kevin Smith's movies. He's that sounds in, like, like uh, if you're at dinner with somebody and trying to think of a fake name, and you're like Ethan Soupley, because there's soup on the table uh-huh, in this uh-huh, bit uh-huh. that I'm doing. Yeah, I got, I, got is, it. I don't think I'm getting less funny. I think you're being less generous with your laughter. I uh, think maybe. that's what's happening. Maybe. Only anyway, time will tell. He, but he was in like My Name Is Earl. Um, I have no idea who that he's, is. He's the sailboat guy, famously, from Mallrats. Oh, sailboat guy. That's all you have to say. Yeah. The, it's it's a schooner, not a sailboat. Whatever, that yeah. guy. <laughs> Recently, I said somebody had retweeted on, ML, on Martin Luther King Day a couple of years ago. Paul Ryan tweeted a picture of him, like, gazing at a statue of Martin Luther King. and or something. Tweeted a picture of Ethan Supley? No, no, no. Paul Ryan tweeted a picture of himself okay. staring at like I an MLK. No, no, no. Okay. Okay. Staring at like an MLK bust or something like that and like contemplating, you know, Dr. King's legacy. And somebody read, like quote tweeted and said, staring at the magic eye picture, trying to see the boat. Because yeah. <laughs> he's stupid. And... It's a schooner, not a sailboat. Anyway. anyway. Uh, so we're in the casino. Mr. Jackpots is approached by Bill and Candy Shaker. Uh, who think he's who continue to call him Dougie Jones? Which is he, Dougie Jones? I mean, he looks. He's a guy who looks exactly like this other guy who went by the name Dougie Jones, who's clearly a regular at this casino, right? Who, which we also learn later when we meet Janie E, that like, are you at the Silver Mustang again? Uh-huh. Like, he's a regular at this casino, so they recognize him. These people see him; they know him. I didn't get the impression that the staff knows him. No, they don't. Not the staff, but like there's other regulars there who know. And like oh, Ethan Supley sees him he... and says like, yeah, I remember him. You look great. Like they haven't seen in a little while. Sure. Like, oh, you look great. You've lost weight. Like, yeah. you know, oh, you, yeah. Remember you live on Lancelot Court, the one with the, the red door and gives him all his information that he needs. Yeah. It's an exposition to, machine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get, no, you're right. And it was very clearly laid out that these were like barflies. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just not used to a casino being a place that somebody can go to regularly. So I just assumed like oh. they knew each other from work or something like that. Like it just. Yeah. Or just like conventions there. Sure. Or like. Anyway. Yeah. Either um, way, they they knew him and gave him talk back information. Right. So that he can get home later. Yeah. As this is going to be our theme with Dougie for talk back information yeah <laughs> yeah just like he repeats things it's a home alone to talk boy yes exactly that's exactly right thank you um S- cooper starts to leave um and he's taken to the casino office where he's given his winnings and a limo is called to take dougie home i liked this scene with um with uh brett gelman mm-hmm he just plays such a good and it, scumbag i love the like they come back to him and he's you just promise me you'll come back and try, try your, your luck, luck again. again. And then, like, he thinks, like, that's his way. That's Gelman's way of, I don't remember. I don't know if they said his character name. I don't know. I'm going to call him Brett Gelman. Um, I, I, look, I think it's just mob, not mob boss. Um, pit, pit boss. boss. Um, <laughs> He's a mob boss. So twist. They, 
they they bring him into the you know and I think he wants to keep him close by because it's a shitload of money we're giving away. Yeah. And well, and he initially offers him, do you want to stay in a hotel? Yeah. Do you He's want trying to keep him close by because he thinks something is fishy. You've done 30 jackpot pulls. You, every oh, yeah. time you go to a new machine and you hit the, the mega jackpot in every single one of them, that's fishy. And then, and then he, and then Cooper hears the hum of the camera, like zooming mm-hmm. and whatever. And he like looks up and he's like, that's right. We're watching. Mm-hmm. So like, He's basically telling Cooper, Dougie Jones, that if you're up to some shady shit, right, we'll find we, out. We will find out. Mm-hmm. Just take note, like, so it's like I'm gonna do the the nice, the whale thing of yeah. like, oh, get you, get you your limo. Yeah. No, you're not taking a cab. I'm gonna get you a limo, and you're gonna take this big bag of cash home, and all this stuff. Is that how they do that? I have no idea. I doubt it. I sh- I'm a- I assume they give you a check. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's crazy. But they there might be an option to... It might be like the lottery too of like if you cash out less, you get cash. But also th- this was a, a casino that was dumping coins out of the thing too. So it's yeah, very so they're old not op- Or they're not operating in yes. reality. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he gets gets him all the stuff but basically is trying to keep him close at hand mm-hmm. because he assumes something, something is shady so uh cooper this is generous cooper directs the limo driver with the details he knows so we already we also overpassed the the woman who the old woman yes uh who's the woman who plays myrtle from superstore which is another great who show. just she just died this past year mm-hmm um, um, and she calls him Mr. Jackpots. That's where he gets the name Mr. Jackpots, which is a really wonderful nickname. Yeah, and like which one's next? Which one's next? And he Linda just points Porter to Porter is her name. Yeah. <laughs> she's Lady Slot Addict. Yeah, and it's an upsetting turn of phrase. And then he points. So like you see her. So presumably, and she looks very. She looks like she might be homeless or yeah, or, or on very hard times. poor or whatever. Um, so obviously this is a life changing mm-hmm. moment for her, which is a cool, even, even not having his wits about him. Cooper is like saving lives. Yeah. And I would say plan a flag in that because yeah. we're, this is going to be a theme that not only, you know, we had our theory, we have the, the gray family theory. We don't know who came up with it necessarily. <clears throat> yes, we do. It was me. <clears throat> nope. But, uh, <laughs> he kind of like pinballs through life as this like completely blank person and yet continues to succeed up we said it's mm-hmm. a metaphor for kind of I, and white like, men good things happen to people and, around him too like he's like a, this well, yeah that's what i was gonna say that good. well that's what i was gonna say is not just that mm-hmm. good things happen for him but things mm-hmm. happen to the people around him mm-hmm. um so yeah plan you know stick a pin in there we'll be back um so he, I actually liked this scene a lot with the limo driver. So he gets out of the limo, the driver. Well, and the the whole ride up too. He's like, "Buddy, you don't know your address. Yeah. Like, it's hard to see the door. Yeah. I don't. Which one has a? You really don't. You really don't have any other. Inf- Aha! There it is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, and he did the thing where he's like, "Yeah, it's hard to see because it's dark out." And then, like a minute later, he's like, "Like I said, it's hard <laughs> to see the door color because it's dark out." Like and as he, if, like, like, "Come on, buddy, you got to give me something to work with." And is yeah. delighted when he finds it. Yeah. Um, but then he goes to open the door for for Dougie, and Dougie, after a minute, well, before he opens the door too, like when he walks, like. 
Dougie doesn't see him leave the car or whatever because then he shows up at the window and Dougie's like, <laughs> like oh, it's I like startled by all of a sudden somebody's on. just there and doesn't. I think because it's like tinted windows, sure. and stuff, like all of it doesn't see him go around, and then all of a sudden you're just like next to me, yeah. and it, he's like, <laughs> like startled. Then so, he opens the door and he just sits there. <laughs> And he kind of like gets him out and then Dougie just stands in front of the, the limo yeah. door and the limo driver, bless his little cotton socks, is like, <laughs> I'll wait here with you. And they yeah. just stand quietly shoulder to shoulder. Um, and then we meet... Uh, and Jake. then an owl flies by. That's our first... Creeperooski. That's yeah, what the... Owl. And he's like, those things always give me the spooks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all just like, this is all stuff that if you're willing to settle in with Dougie Jones in this whole thing because this spoiler alert to some degree goes on for the if this is the first time you're ever watching this you don't expect it to go on as long as it does Mm -hmm. and the dougie storyline of dougie cooper not being all there and being this dougie being goes on a lot longer than you anticipate and if you're willing to acknowledge that now Mm -hmm. and say cool I'm gonna take the ride, and I'm gonna I'm gonna laugh at the comedy of it, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna just enjoy it. I I genuinely like the Dougie character. Yeah, I, I'm and going I, to. It's really frustrating on the first watch because you just want Cooper back. And, I actively yeah. despise Dougie the first time, and mm-hmm. not just really less the character and more. I mean, honestly, I think it's just how many times people say his name in an exasperated tone, like, triggers weird anxiety in me. Like, just shut up. Like, just shut up. He's a grown fucking man. Stop screaming his name. It's, ugh. And it's it's such a kiddie name, too. Mm -hmm. It's cute. And then then turns out he's got a kid, and his kid's name is Sonny Sonny Jim, Jim, which is like... A, an old man's name. You Sun, know what no, I mean? Sonny like, Jim is like a British like buddy. Yeah. Like, take it easy, Sonny Jim. Like, yeah. Take it easy, bud. So it's not even anybody's name. Is it S-U-N-N-Y or S-O-N-N-Y? I don't know. I'm looking it up. I don't know that I've ever looked at it written. That's weird. Sonny, S-O-N-N-Y. Yeah. Sonny Jim Jones. His name is Jim Jones. How do you feel about that? Hey, take it easy, Sonny. Sonny Jim. Maybe it's Capri Sunny Jim Jones. Well, no, I was thinking of the Jonestown Massacre. So was I. Sorry. Capri Sun, mm-hmm. the Kool-Aid part. Uh, mm, that wasn't on purpose. You backed into that metaphor. Yeah, wh- why would I have called him Capri Sun if I wasn't thinking of Kool-Aid? <sighs> I don't like any of that. Capri Sun. Capri Sunny Jim Jones. Just saying. It's there. So we meet Janie E for the first time. Janie E, what are the names? Does Janie E mean any? Because it's like Janie hyphen E. It's not mm-hmm. Janie E, period. Like it's her last name. Mm-hmm. Does that mean anything to you? Mm-hmm. Should it mean something to me? It will. Okay. The E is relevant. The fact that her name is Janie E okay. is relevant. Is she the fifth Janie? No, why? Jenny A, Jenny B, Jenny C, D. <laughs> no, no. Listen, but, but the E, E, it's it stands for something okay. that comes comes into play a little bit later. So Janie E, who is played by uh, Naomi Watts, Naomi Watts, um, she storms out of the house. 
approaches him, slaps him in the face, and then we find out Dougie has been gone for three days. Mm-hmm. She takes him inside, she's angry with him, and then she discovers his money from the casino, which I can't imagine if you just came home catatonic with a bag full of money. I don't know what I would do with myself. Spend it. Pay some stuff down. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> no, I have a car. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of emphasis on home here, too, which I I find interesting. Like, it even that's even kind of the button on this scene. It's like, oh, I'm just glad you're home. And mm-hmm. just home. Oh, perks mm-hmm. up home. Mm-hmm. And there's a thing, I don't know if it means anything, but there's an interesting juxtaposition of this location with all the balloons and stuff around. And, like, it being this, like, yellow glow, which is really beautiful. And the 119 woman, Mm, mm. where there's also balloons on the floor that are half deflated. Oh. And this is, like, it's almost, like, and it's, like, just white and bare Mm -hmm. and empty. And there's just, this has, like, lots of the greens and yellows, a lot of fun color Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. And the other one is just, like... Even the red balloon is just like flat looking, mm-hmm. and it's it's somehow like an opposite of home or something. Like this represents the warmth of coming home, but the other one one nine location is kind of I don't know. Like I don't know what that's saying. Is but there's this a, a connection wi- that you're drawing or has been drawn by others? I just am a, I'm just connecting balloons. Okay. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Like so I'm I'm wondering if there's something there because what that other location really and truly means, we don't know. Okay. I don't know who that woman is, but it's dark and it's dank mm-hmm. and it's dirty. But why are there also balloons there? Sure. Like it's just there's something about it and then this location is even though he's coming in bad. Mhm. It seems warm and inviting. Well, and it's a really beautiful home. Like, this yeah. whole neighborhood is full of, like, yeah. really lovely houses and things like that. So, yeah, it's definitely a different... Well, it's similar to where he was having uh, having his fling with Jade, that it looks like it was, like, a planned community. Mm-hmm. This has kind of the same look, too, but that one was barren and empty. Yeah, exactly. And... Something about that neighborhood is the opposite of this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And... Cooper comes back, first goes there, and it, and it's we're supposed to be wanting Cooper back, but he ends up here, and that place is awful. But then this other place is like after this guy seems to be a bad character, he's been gone for three days and he's gambling and doing whatever. Mm-hmm. But at the 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 place he ends up is so inviting, and he already feels home. Sure, and it's I don't know, I don't know, I don't even really have the first step of a theory or anything there, but I feel like there's a connection of some kind. Okay. <laughs> um, and she mentions when she sees money, she says this is enough to pay them back or pay yeah. off. Yeah. Another so, good thing that happens to those around him without him trying. Right. But we don't, so we'll definitely hear more about that. So Dougie, whoever he is or was, owes somebody money. Yeah. And they were strapped. Yeah. A lot of money, apparently. Yeah. Like, like... This isn't like, this is enough to pay them back. The neighbors that we borrowed 50 bucks from. Right, you know exactly. what I mean? Like, yeah, they're they're in some type of dangerous debt. Right. 
Okay. Cole, Gordon Cole visits with Bill Kennedy as he waits to meet with Denise Bryson. Should I have remembered Bill Kennedy? Not really. Okay. It's another Bill, though, which is Bill Hastings is a plot point character. And, and now we got another Bill because... Gotta. But also, um, like, I, what I like about it is that, like, that's real life. I know I know a few people named Brian or whatever. Like right. I know a few bills. Right. Like you're going to you're going to run into two people with the same name. Mm-hmm. Um so he goes in to meet uh Denise Bryson, who this is our first time we've seen her since sometime in season 2. Mm-hmm. Um and so what we've kind of learned is uh so Denise is played by uh David Duchovny. Um, and we glean from the conversation that they have that um, she is full on trans now. It's mm-hmm. not that she's kind of playing with gender identity or anything like that. She identifies fully as a, as a woman. Um, and she's now the FBI chief of staff, which is... So she's now Cole's yeah. boss. Right. Um, I will say my one... I love this scene. My one critique that I noticed this time is... The Denise wig is really terrible. It's just a terrible haircut. It's got like weird, chunky layers. And also the jacket is so tight. So it's David Duchovny. Like, obviously, it's David Duchovny who's playing it. But like the way the jacket fits, you can just see like bulging biceps in a way that like... It's not like, ooh, it's snug, so it shows off muscles. It's like, that jacket is too small for this person. Interesting. you can buy clothes that fit you and like and they're yeah anyway it was just a thing i noticed this i wonder time. if that's like a a thing is that they're trying to make a point of it's hard to find clothes that can fit her properly mm, that's a good point because she's got wide shoulders right and she's right but like a suit jacket like that's yeah generally pretty gender neutral if you need to just pick up anyway not important um so uh, so Gordon Cole informs Denise that um, Cooper is in federal prison in South Dakota. Um, and Denise is critical because Gordon Cole is bringing along Agent Preston, Tammy Preston, mm-hmm. Preston who is, as he said, gorgeous, barely 30. Um, and then... So I love this moment, but I don't necessarily know that this conversation is earned necessarily so he's basically like hey how come you're bringing along this young gorgeous female agent like Mm -hmm. is this really the best person for this job or are you like caught up on a pretty girl Mm -hmm. like and and clearly it's they're laying out that this is a a, a his, this is something Cole has done in the right, past. Right, right. He his. has a a, so, a soft spot for pretty ladies that like gives them the benefit. You know what I mean? Like he's which not, as does David Lynch. Like sure. he's calling himself oh, out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's the beauty of this scene is the most meta thing mm-hmm. ever. I feel like this is he's acknowledging himself mm-hmm. and his own issues with you know the creation of Denise back in the nineties mm-hmm. and like what does he say? Like all of these. Well, I mean, things that he gets criticized for and he's calling him out and he's like, I get it, but I'm old school. Like he's Yeah. 
Well, and like every yeah. woman who lived in Twin Peaks is like gorgeous, slender, and stunning. <laughs> yeah. Like he clearly yeah. has a has a type, and like that's not to say the men aren't either. And and also that's not to, like I'm not even necessarily like anti putting attractive people in things. Attractive people are very nice to look at. Yeah. I enjoy it very yeah. much. Like it's okay if you want pretty people in your in your shows. But like yeah, the pattern is uh, I wouldn't say troubling, but it's noticeable. Notable. You're taking Agent Preston with you? Yes. Really, Gordon? What are you getting at, Denise? Well, I know your profile, Gordon. Beautiful agent, barely 30. I'm old school, Denise, you know that. Before you were Denise, when you were Dennis, and I was your boss, when I had you working undercover at the DEA, you were a confused and wild thing sometimes. I had enough dirt on you to fill the Grand Canyon, and I never used a spoonful because you were and are a great agent. And when you became Denise, I told all your colleagues, those clown comics, to fix their hearts or die. Yes, and as I've said many times before, Gordon, I can never repay you enough for that kindness. Agent Tammy Preston has the stuff, Denise. I know. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and so in uh, in kind of rebuke to to Denise's sort of arched eyebrows is that he said, "Do you remember before you were Denise, you were still Dennis?" And I don't have the quote here, but it's when you came out as Denise. Mm-hmm. Bas- so this I think is after. This is in between. This is I don't, or maybe it's before I. I think this would be referring to a moment when Denise came out as being, I am 100% all the time Denise. Yeah. I am a trans woman. Yeah. And I think. Yeah, that tracks. He immediately went to bat for Denise and Mm. he, I will drop in the quote because it's amazing. Of course. But he references like to all those other agents those clown comics like these people who thought they were being funny uh-huh. you know poking fun at you about this i told them to fix their hearts or die which i is a beautiful turn of phrase it's it's interesting that like there are shirts and and buttons and mm-hmm. everything that you can buy all over the place now that says fix your hearts or die which is a beautiful like rallying cry but mm-hmm. also like no without context it's rest of it's <laughs> it's weird without context and the quote that is put on everything isn't even what he said i told right. them to fix their hearts or yeah. die not fix your hearts or die yeah it's you're putting a quote that we didn't actually hear that he said to somebody off screen yeah. somewhere yeah which yeah. is interesting but if the trans community wants to get behind it right and support that concept and that idea. Fuck yeah, yeah, go for it, man. I'm all for it. Yeah, I was talking to right after we came back from Twin Peaks Fest at like so when we went to which Twin we Pe- met two trans people there who loved it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually I've been thinking about like there was this trans guy named Oliver who we met and I he like disappeared at, like we got separated onto two different buses yeah. and we were buddies with him then he got separated into two different buses and, and we never saw him again and I couldn't find he him on Facebook or anything yeah. and I'd like think about him a lot yeah. like I just kind of want to know what what what's up bud like he's, yeah, he's still I do around too. doing okay I, he was someone I felt like we were becoming friends with yeah I yeah 
Yeah. I would love to connect with, yeah. with him. But anyway, um, but oh, so when I when we came home from Twin Peaks. Peaks Fest. So that, because this had just come out, and this was the pull quote from the whole fucking show. Like, Fix Your Hearts or Die was just, mm-hmm. like, it, I think, hit people in such a strong way, because it's so um, unequivocal. Yep. It is giving you no room to be like, well, we can have a different opinion. No, no, no. Fuck you. Like, yeah. Fix Your and, Hearts or and Die. I f- you don't get to make Absolutely. this decision anymore. And it's saying it. It's David Lynch himself saying mm-hmm. it. In a scene that's very clearly about David Lynch. Right. He's speaking very meta here yeah. through Gordon Cole or whatever. But he's David Lynch. And David Lynch is saying how he feels mm-hmm. about, th- th- you know, what was a hot button topic then sure. too. This this was in the height of the whole trans bathroom. Oh, yeah. Oh, my like, God. Right. Phobia or whatever. So this is huge at that time to not only. It's one thing to put a trans character in your show or your movie but to have not only straight white old men acknowledge Mm -hmm. them but to like you said unequivocally stand beside Mm -hmm. these people and this community is wonderful and and from a character who is like seemingly a womanizer right who you know okay you're flawed, mm-hmm. but you're trying. Yeah. And I think that's all anybody can do. Nobody's fucking perfect. Mm-hmm. Everything is a, you know, a series of failures and corrections. Mm-hmm. And you have to learn from things. So I think just this is such a short little scene that doesn't even need to be in the show. This is the only time we see Denise mm-hmm. in the series. Mm-hmm. But it's in there solely mm-hmm. so that David Lynch can make this statement. Yep. And Mark Frost and everybody who's mm-hmm. behind this production are doing this to make this statement. There's no need for this scene to be in the show otherwise. No, none. No, none. Uh, and I We're going to South Dakota. Cool, we're going to South Dakota. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go talk to your boss and show the scene where he explains why he's picking Tammy yeah. and... Albert to go like you don't need that mm-hmm. it's unnecessary mm-hmm. so it's just it's a a wonderful scene I think mm-hmm. yeah and I think I, I, I don't want to speak out of turn and I'm not here to speak on behalf of trans people but anecdotally I have heard a lot of trans people saw Denise as such an important figure for them mm-hmm. because it was one of the first times you saw a trans person that like the joke isn't that they're cross-dressing right mm-hmm. like this is just how this person's being and almost everybody like there's still some like side looks but nothing hateful ever gets said to her on screen that we see am i wrong yeah i don't think so i mean there's that like you know yeah. cooper completely like everybody and and it's i think another thing that there's, like the closest thing to it is when ernie Ernie Niles is like, oh, all uncomfortable and awkward mm. and doesn't know what to do. Yeah. But the joke's on him right. not knowing how to react to this. Right. Um, but, so I think having this back and, well, I, I'm sorry, let me, I cut my, yeah, I <laughs> lost my train of thought. So a lot of trans people saw Denise as a important figure in their life, in their identity and things like that. Yeah, in the early 1990s, it was the only trans person you saw anywhere in pop culture. 
And while while it's a good and important... Oh, I thought you weren't going to finish that bottle of wine. I'm going to, because <laughs> I have to, because it's not good. <laughs> my, friend and, my friend and I swapped wine, and he doesn't really drink wine, and he keeps buying me Riesling. I don't like Riesling. I've never drank white wine around him, but it's the only wine he knows, so I keep getting fucking Riesling and making Mikey drink But not it. only that, it's like... Not even that you don't like it. It's the polar opposite of what you do. Oh, like. 100%. And he knows fuck all about wine. Anyway, um, but... Thoughts. All this Thoughts just, very sweet. <laughs> very sweet. So is the wine. As is the wine. Oh, you beat me. <laughs> um, but he did cast a cis man to play a trans character, which now we... Um, I mean, we are learning what we know society is learning that's not necessarily an appropriate move to make um so the fact that he brought denise back in and then just doubled down on like hey trans lives matter and that's all i want to say about this like it's like i feel like he could have done so much with like well i was ignorant about like trans culture and that's why i cast a man to play this character he he could have done that in like a press release or a tweet or whatever. Mm. He chose not to. He chose to any criticism, any praise. Yeah, any criticism or praise he got over the last twenty five years. Yeah, he funneled down into fix your hearts or die. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, that said, I don't think it's a fair rebuke to what Denise is accusing him of. He's li- like literally, <laughs> literally, Denise is like. She's a hot young woman. What's up, buddy? Like, this is your pattern. He's like, remember when I defended well, you from mean boys? Let me do what I want. But he also says, like, I'm I'm a man of honor. Yeah. I He does say, trust me. He, he basically his it's his way of saying, like, I went out on a limb for you. I'm asking you to trust me now. Right. Which I This she's the best person for this job. And I think the reason that rubs me the wrong way is because the Christabel, who plays Tammy, is a middling actor. It's her first acting gig. She's not an actor. She does acting in this. Mm-hmm. And again, I, and we talked about this at length last She's a great week. singer. Amazing great singer. singer. Amazing performer. Charismatic. Upsettingly good looking. She really, it, like, that's why this is interesting, too, is because he's also, that's what he's also commenting on. She's sort of a muse for David Lynch. Yeah. And but, but like so he's commenting like he's he's commenting to Denise so he made his trans lives matter fix your hearts or die mm-hmm. statement boom then Denise takes on the role of audience so that he can say to us when we criticize why did you cast Krista Bell in this role right. and he's like because I think she's right for this part and that's my choice to do. And it, yes, and I think that's a good way to put it because and, it's and really it, it, like so much meta information is happening in this scene, mm-hmm. and I love I love all of it because and it's all done through David Lynch. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he he's you notice he's not yelling. I mean, he's a little bit heightened. Yeah, he doesn't do the yelling gimmick as but much. But he's this. not doing up yeah, here. In the whole season, he doesn't yell nearly as, as much. much. And like, granted, he's got an updated thing. Yeah, probably, oh, that tracks actually. Whatever, but. There is a goofy bit about his hearing later. But. Yeah. But, I mean, and he's still, like, the first introduction we had to him. With, you know, he's had a, he has a few moments of, like, not misunderstanding things. Right. <laughs> yeah. But he, but there's this, 
yeah, he the way he talks to the audience and he's like justifying everything in this scene mm-hmm. is a, a delight. I I think this scene is extremely good. It's just hard when he is like essentially laying down his reputation. Like, no, no, no. I, this woman, I know she doesn't seem whatever. This woman mm-hmm. is the right woman for this job. And we cut back and she's not a very interesting character. Like she's not written especially interesting this thus far. Sure. It doesn't do so it it kind of is jarring to be like, oh, you're laying all of this on the line for this gorgeous woman who doesn't seem I that mean, competent. And it doesn't hurt that he she's like going up against who are all the other women in this show? Laura Dern, we're gonna see in a little bit. One of the goddamn greatest actors who's ever been. Yeah. Naomi Watts, one of the greatest actresses yeah. who's ever been. Like, she's going, like, all the all the women in this show are, like, damn good actresses. Of course. It, and she's getting her first go at it. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm just, I think I'm going to, I think my, my line is going to be that she was not a good cast for this and ultimately, uh, to me, drags down a lot of what could be really good scenes. <laughs> That's that's my opinion. Again, and, and like I hate doing that. I don't like. I I just I think she's representative of like an audience, like audiences who don't get Twin Peaks. I think that she's feels like a stretch. Well, she just is in every scene confused. Yeah. Like and I guess there's an argument to make for that she's an audience surrogate, but I don't. Not, think- she's not an audience surrogate. I don't think because it's not like they constantly are explaining things to right. her. Like I think if anybody's that, it's the new Truman. Mm-hmm. He's always kind of just listening to things happen. He has a lot of listening oh, in this and, series. And does it great, so well. great listening? So face. well. <laughs> that sounded sarcastic. We're both being yeah. no hundred percent earnest. Robert Forster is one of the most underrated actors ever. Um, Courtney just texts. She wants to know if you call them movies or films. What? Courtney just texted popped up. I both I use them interchangeably, I guess. Yeah. I think depends I, I guess certain certain art house cinema I will refer to as films, probably. <laughs> she literally just said, and if it's a mix, what makes it one or the other? I'll take care of this later. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's both. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I'll just tell Courtney instead of texting her back, I'll just tell her to listen to this episode. I will t- I will t- I will say I'll go through my collection later and tell you each title if I consider it a movie or a film. Uh, and in the rare occasion where I call them a motion picture. <laughs> and, uh, you know. How about, do we have any cinematic events? No, but I will call, like, City Lights, for example, by oh. Charlie Chaplin, I'll call a talkie. <laughs> It's such a shame I have to cut all this out because it's the funniest thing you've ever said. I don't know. Oh, boy. (laughs) You don't have to cut anything out. (laughs) So, yeah, this is going to be six hours. Um, So, Denise, uh, so end that scene. Denise voices her support. Gordon leaves, goes on his way. This is the last we're going to see of Denise. Yes. This. Yes. But but this scene, like, the scene is utterly unimportant. To the story within Twin Peaks and incredibly important to why Twin Peaks is here mm-hmm. and why Twin Peaks yeah. means things to people. Yeah. Oh, God. I shockingly side railed myself. Um, when we came back from, yeah, because I started talking about Oliver. When we came back, I had this like temporary. T- so they were giving 
somebody had in a little temporary tattoo like the size of my it fit on my wrist perfectly like the front of my wrist that had an owl cave and it said fix your hearts or die mm. and i remember coming back and i went over to a girlfriend's house and her friend um who i didn't know it's claire who's been over here but um it was the first time i had met her and she was asking me about it and i was like very embarrassed because I was like a 34-year-old woman with a fucking temporary tattoo, <laughs> like a 16-year-old. Um, and so I explained to her the context, told her about the fix your heart, hearts yeah. or die thing. And I was like, I really, like, I'm act because I have two tattoos and I've actively considered, like, is that something I want, something else I want to get tattooed? And I was like, my fear, like Mikey has said, like, it's a very strong statement and without context without context feels a little bit well that's threatening even if you see oh fix your hearts or die what does that mean and you say oh it's about trans lives Mm -hmm. you want trans people to die which side which side which side (laughs) exactly like 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 you have to acknowledge in some way either by setting up this scene Mm -hmm. or by saying oh this is this is a message to bigots yeah and like that's worthy of a t-shirt or a button or a patch uh-huh. i don't for me i don't want to and i'm not a big tattoo person anyway right but if you were going to get another tattoo putting a note on your body permanently Same. that's that's written and directed to bigots yeah mm, that yeah. Does, i don't like yeah that. i don't like the idea of messaging on my body being aimed at bigots yeah they're not worth my time that's fair um, but that's me. And then so I said that, and Claire, I thought, made a very astute. And then I was like, I don't know, the language is very strong without context. Right. And she, her thought was like, maybe we fucking need strong language. Maybe that's mm-hmm. like the way we need to be messages. She's she's uh, she's a lesbian, so like it was in her wheelhouse. Anyway, it's just a. It, it's just but something that's, I think but that's about what I like too. Is it isn't just a and people have adopted it as such as fix your hearts or die. In the way it's delivered in the scene is reference to I told them to fix their hearts or die. Yeah. My colleagues, people I've talked to right. on a daily basis. And I think that's why it's so powerful and so important is that I'm not this isn't just say no. Right. This isn't this isn't bumper sticker shit. This is shit you say to people you speak to every day. Mm-hmm. Your friends, colleagues, coworkers, whatever. People you, as soon as you hear someone you know say some fucking transphobic, homophobic, whatever slur, mm-hmm. no, 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 fuck you, yeah. fix your heart or die. Mm-hmm. That is important to, it's because it's less about calling out the world mm-hmm. and it's more about calling out individual Individuals. people that you deal with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's so powerful yeah. is that it's not the direct quote. Mm-hmm. The direct quote is implied. Yeah. And that, that's part of why I think it's so powerful is that I told them to fix their hearts or die. Mm-hmm. Because the only thing you can say to a bigot is strong terminology and yeah. strong language. And I, I, I love it. I yeah. love it. Yep. All right. We'll leave it. I think that's a good note to leave that scene on. Um, so we're back at the station house. Um, Lucy is on the phone so she's behind her desk but facing away from like she's facing the wall or her desk or something looking at the worst photoshopped family photo oh boy that was I think it's supposed again I think this is like the bad David Lynch visual effects and the weird thing is it looks like the picture uh, so it's a picture of 
who we learn to be Wally Brando. Wally Brando. Andy Lucy and Lucy and behind in front of a Christmas tree. But it tree seems to look like a picture of Andy and Lucy when they were both like seventeen. It's <laughs> it's so bizarre looking. Yeah, it's very odd and very bad, intentionally so. Unclear. Right. So she is on the phone with Sheriff Truman um, about the thermostat. She does a whole bit that makes me laugh a lot about yeah. like we come in early and it's still at you know it's yep. still heating. What if we came in even earlier? When it's st- my, like she's concerned that we don't know what's going on at the station house. My when favorite it's thing about that exchange at night is the genuine concern for prisoners who aren't even there. <laughs> we don't usually have prisoners here, but if they are, they can't even see the thermostat. Like she's <laughs> genuinely worried. Like you've got people in your prison for whatever reason. And she's genuinely concerned that they might be too hot or too cold. Yeah. And, oh, I love you, Lucy. So good. Just so, like, that is just the definition of, like, bleeding heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, she's so sweet. And I love that she's, she's like. She's more worried about hypothetical genu- people. Yeah, genuinely concerned for people who don't even actually exist currently. <laughs> um, Truman then walks into the station. He's holding his cell phone up. Um, and she, he scares her so bad that she falls backwards in her chair. Uh, and then we learn that she doesn't understand cell phones. I'm so sorry. I think this cell phone bit is dumb. Like her not understanding that phones are portable is stupid. It's it's all, beyond the pale of like what's a quirky thing you don't understand. Here's the thing. It's all... I don't... I go back and forth on it a little bit because... It has a huge payoff later. Okay. Which I love. Don't remember it, obviously. It also, like, the fact that it isn't just like she doesn't understand cell phones, ha, 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 falls over in her chair. <laughs> then you get the whole scene where Andy is comforting her, and he's, like, so nice about, oh, Punky, you. we've had this conversation before. You still don't understand it. I don't understand why you... You don't, you know, get over it and whatever. And the fact that they drive it into the ground is one of those that goes from being not funny, not funny, really not funny, kind of funny. Because mm-hmm. they just beat it so yeah, far over the so. head. And I like that about it. Then, not only do they have this whole thing about how she doesn't understand cell phones, mm-hmm. that scene is juxtaposed to the next shot you see is the dispatcher switchboard which is which is nothing but like radio waves going everywhere she's called she's called truman on on like a cb radio Uh before she understands it she just doesn't understand that she understands it like it's the it's it's ridiculous but honestly, it's really setting up just one joke yeah. in one of the last episodes. Um, Truman. And so this is the first time we've met Frank Truman, who is uh, Sheriff uh, Harry S. Truman's brother. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets an update from Maggie, who's working the, what, the dispatch? The switchboard. Switchboard. Yeah. The, yeah. She's the dispatch, yeah. Um, the and the deputies on events that occurred while he was away fishing. He, uh, we also see Bobby Briggs for the first time in a great reveal shot. Great reveal shot, and genuine. I'm embarrassed to say this. 
took my breath away how good looking he is now. And, and like, <laughs> like it's, it's unreal. I feel like they give you certain characters that deserve it. Uh-huh. They give you great introductory shots. Mm-hmm. When you got the log lady, best you could, and that was a struggle. Sure. Because of her real life situation, you see her cabin with the light on. Uh-huh. Hawk. And then you, boom, you just get a close-up of, and it's beautiful, and she earns that frame. You know what I was thinking about? With this shot, hang on, with this shot real quick, you see Frank, you see a great close-up of Frank walking into this hallway, then you see the reverse side, and you've got this long push, like dolly push, of, you see his back, Mm -hmm. and it's an older man, gray hair, you don't necessarily know who it is, and it pushes all the way in. To this great close-up where he turns around and he's like, hey, what? And you're like, oh my oh, God, Bobby Briggs. And he's a fucking dreamboat. so good You know what I mean? It's, it's just fair. such a great... And you're like, oh my God. Because you've now seen this before, so he doesn't register. Also, Bobby Briggs is a Twin Peaks sheriff. Yeah. Deputy. Bobby Briggs, the bad boy of Twin yeah. Peaks, became a sheriff's deputy. That's wonderful. Uh-huh. And this goes back to the whole scene with his dad saying, I know good things are going to happen if you. you're going to write the ship. And you're gonna, like all of these things in this big push shot down this hallway. And then it ends with him still being fucking Bobby being like, my teeth are floating, man. I got to piss. It's so a, good. All so, so Two good. Two pee jokes in this episode, which is impressive. Uh, Dougie Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Just a quick sidebar about the log lady. I hadn't thought about this until just now, but it's really cool that they didn't put a wig on her. I, I yeah, absolutely. And had like her oxygen tubes in. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like they could have tried to do her up and make her look as much like we remembered her as we mm-hmm. can, and they just opted not to. And I think that's well, they very wrote it cool. in that she's losing her health too. Well, no, of course, yeah. but like they did not have to do that. Is what I'm saying, right? Yeah, it's yeah they. But that's the beauty. Like, this whole show is about, like, the circle of life and life and death and everything in between mm-hmm. and all of it. And I think the well, fact that they don't shy away from, like, the elderly and the dying. Mm-hmm. And it's a show important. that's so much about grief. Exactly. That this slots right in, even mm-hmm. though it, you know, not unintentional, but it's not how they would have written it if they did yeah. it 10 years ago. Um yeah. Anyway, um, so we see Bobby Briggs. So we hear about um, a drug overdose of someone named Denny Craig. Um, he apparently overdosed in school, which is horrifying. Like he was in class, the bell rang, and he was dead at his desk, which is horrifying. Yeah. That is grim shit. Yeah. Um, and they think it might be due to designer Chinese drugs, which I hope they don't give him a dumb name like they do in Brooklyn Nine Nine. You mean like Sparkle? Giggle Pig? No, they call it Sparkle. They do? Yeah. Oh, that's actually... Yeah, ugh, it's called brother. Sparkle. Um, um, but they... What that signifies, too, though, is that Twin Peaks teenagers... Like, Laura was an anomaly in mm-hmm. the 90s as being this tortured soul who was mm-hmm. into this shit. And now it seems like it's... Oh, kind of all teenagers are like this. Like, Twin Peaks... Do you think... I didn't get I, that I get at all. The, well, I get that. Plus, when you start getting these like little cutaway segments inside the roadhouse, 
mm-hmm. of all the teenagers mm-hmm. is shit is not good for these kids. Right. It's I feel like it's got like since Laura died, like teenage life has gotten dark. Sure. Um Bobby established that he's been looking at all inroads from Canada, so he does not think that these drugs are coming in from Canada. Um, and then we have our little scene about Andy explaining cell phones. Um, Truman meets with Hawk about the message from Margaret's log lady with Deputy, Deputy Chad Broxford present. So Chad, who's that actor? John Puricello. We've seen him. He's He was in Barry as well. Yes. Um, he is in some movie with my friend Parvesh, who we mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. Um, just a scumbag that you Super, love to root against. Yeah. Like a is good he scumbag. Chad? Like, yeah, he's just and he just is always referred to as Deputy Chad. Yeah. Like <laughs> fuck you. Yeah. Like and he's just the And he's worst. clearly disliked by the people. Oh, it. It's not absolutely. just it's not like, one of those like everybody's oh, you know, anti Chad yeah. and it's amazing. And he mentions that when they mention like, oh, Margaret Mm-hmm. And they're and they're not talking. They're not calling her the log leader. They're giving her due respect, mm-hmm. especially now that she's coming to toward the end of her life mm-hmm. and she's struggling. They're calling her Margaret, and she's always been right about these things. He's, and he's like, "Isn't she ten ninety six? Which is a police code for like mentally ill people. Ah, I did not uh, know that. I know she seems like a strange one, but her information has always been spot on. So. Margaret says that it, something is missing having to do with Special Agent Dale Cooper and only you can find because of something about your heritage. That's what she said. I thought that log woman was 1096 and not even allowed in this building. That's on account of a kind of gum. Well, I'll chew on that. That's enough, Chad. She gets messages from her log. Pinocchio's friend. Good night, Chad. Go have a word with my pine cone. And then and then Lucy steps in and like comes to her defense of like that was on the account of gum that she chewed. Oh, because he said she's banned from this sheriff's station. Right. And she said that was a gum-related incident. Yeah. Or something. And it's it's like it's all so good of like everybody protecting Margaret Lanterman. I feel like this except ho- this new fucking jackass. Well, I also feel like this whole scene, or like it, we see this very frequently of people being protective of. God, maybe this is another. Okay, all right, I'm working on a theory. Are you ready for it? I don't know why I did that theme, but anyway, it's the ESPN theme. A little bit. <laughs> So it better be sports related. <laughs> no, okay. Chad represents all of the people whose reflection on the original Twin Peaks was like, it'd be cool if it weren't for all the weird stuff. And so I think this guy is a placeholder for like, can we just do the thing about the girl gets killed and like whatever? Like, I don't need a woman talking to her log or some bullshit. I just uh, want a yeah. crime story. Um, that's based on nothing, but yeah, I did no, just I, come I, up I, with it. And I, I, and now it's on radio, it. <laughs> so when Mikey tries Cabaret, to fucking well, uh, steal it from I, me. Well, I wrote a letter with that same theory to <laughs> myself and mailed it <laughs> two weeks ago. Uh, no. You hate to see it. No, I, I agree. And I think those are like, 
There's so many good, simple characters like that that you can put that stuff. I This whole series, this season three, is meta in so many places, in so many ways, whether it's on Twin Peaks, television, cinema, mm-hmm. David Lynch himself, mm-hmm. David Lynch's, like... Uh, What's the word? I'm, his like oeuvre? No, his like collection, his works, the works of David Lynch, I guess. Okay. Like, because there's a lot of like tiny little subtle references sure. to other works of his. Well, yeah, and we've talked about this. That's this right. feels like a hat tip to his. Yeah, like, a little by bit. him. And so, like, which is not a thing you see a lot. <laughs> all of all of this meta stuff that it makes it really easy to apply those labels yeah. to characters like that. And I that's something I love about this series. Well, and it's interesting because um, David Lynch and Mark Frost tend to write... Uh, no, actually, never mind. I'm going to... I was going to say they... What I was going to say is like they tend to make many characters kind of bastions of good or evil. Like, there's characters that are pure and good, and there are mm-hmm. characters that are just bad, but there's a lot of people in between. But but I, I was going to say, like, this falls... I don't remember where I was going with that. It's probably not important or interesting. Anyway... No, I, I mean, I think that falls very much in line with what I think this show is a lot about, is you can't survive properly in either of the extremes. Yeah. I don't know. I really want to talk... I, I, I'm really... Like, I don't think this is the appropriate episode to do it. But I want to dive in of, like, why does... If that... If your theory is true that David Lynch is promoting... There's an exact moment in this. It's in my notes of that comes in later in this episode. Okay, that we'll That hits where that... Kind of one of the sparking points of where that okay, okay, theory cool. came into my head. All right. Um, so... Bobby, okay, so we get rid of Chad because he's making fun of the log lady and you don't do that in my house, Mm -hmm. Um, says Hawk, maybe. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. Got it. Move on. They call me one take grave. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of one take, that's the next scene. Oh, boy, oh, boy. So Bobby walks in. He sees a photo of Laura, and it's just, I... Okay, <laughs> and the and you get the the big crescendo of the Laura Palmer theme uh-huh. playing over the top. There, I, I've been thinking lately about things that I am not very good at seem like a miracle to me. Like you know the thing about like like anything that we can't explain by technology is going to be blamed on magic or whatever. Yeah, or religion. Or religion. Like, I did theater. I've never been an especially good actor. I'm more of just a general yeller of my own thoughts. Um, So to watch this guy walk in in one take and, like, go from, like, beep and up, boop to, and crying and, like, clearly, like, such a real, such a vivid and genuine performance, that feels like a fucking miracle to me because, like, yeah, I But at the same not... time, like, it feels like... I mean, it's probably applicable. It's his life, right? Like, yeah, this he's was, back in this is what, fucking Twin Peaks. Yeah, and this, I can't believe this is all, like, like, just put yourself in that place where you remember everything that happened to you on set in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Like, that's when you were twenty two or however old he yeah. was, like, and the re- this is how and this sure it's is like what going put back me to on like, the map as an actor, like yeah. all of it. 
It's like going back to your, your high school or yeah. whatever. So, like, it makes sense. It just is such a striking performance yeah. that... Um, God, did this get nominated for anything Emmy-wise? It got a, a few... It, Cooper. Uh, Cooper. Calvin he got, nomi- got nominated. It got nominated for that. It got... The problem is when you when you submit a show for the Emmys, mm-hmm. you can submit, I think, one or two episodes. Oh. And so they have to base all of their decisions on one or two episodes, whatever it is. And I know wild. I know they submitted part eight. Oh, okay. So So it got a bunch of technical awards and nominations of like Sure, but like sound design and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it got the credit it deserved of like McLaughlin playing, and he lost to Ewan McGregor who played two people. Yeah, and yeah. It, it just, what a fucking chump! It, right, and it just feels <laughs> it. It just feels like I don't know. Okay, so. He becomes very emotional. He also notes that... So we, we're starting to fill in the time between the last... The season finale of season two and now. Right. So this is one of our first, like... Not first, but like one of our big pieces of exposition of like... Okay, so we... hear we about know, a thing that happened during that time. Exactly. In, in, and, and in life in Twin Peaks. Immediately thereafter. Not immediately. No? No. It's before oh. Cooper leaves town. It's shortly after, but it's not necessarily immediately. Okay. Uh, so he says he's the first person to see um, his father alive. His father is... Um, uh, Major Garland Briggs. Which this I is also when we learn that he is, he is dead. He is in yeah, fact dead. Yeah, he is dead. Uh, which obviously we probably knew because the actor died in right. you know the early 2000s at some point. Um, um, but yeah. And then we learn how he died. Yeah. In a fire. Yeah, at his, um, what do they call it? The. Um, I thought he said at the station house, but that doesn't it's, make sense. He had a he had a a call station in the middle of the woods, which is where he was doing that deep space monitoring stuff. Oh, and there was a fire. And there was that station burned down. Okay. Oh, that's when I heard he station. Met, that must have he been met way. with Cooper, and then the very next day that station burned down. Right. And Cooper left town. Right. Um, and we see Deputy Jesse Holcomb. <laughs> Ready for our Jesse Holcomb stories? <laughs> James Grixoni. I love this guy. So, long story short, we met James Grixoni uh, when we were in Twin... Twin so, Peaks again, Snoqualmie is where, at that time, Twin Peaks t- Fest took place. And a lot of the actors who have these sort of kind of... This was a... Yeah, season three happening was a huge shot in the arm for Twin Peaks Fest. Because yes. all of a sudden, like, oh, we got Don Davis again, or yeah. we got Wendy Roby, or who, whoever from the original series we got, we got, oh, every four or five years they show up, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you've got this entire, like, wealth of it new actors to draw from. And they brought in a lot of local people, talent yeah, from these people, local Seattle. The same, the same, the same way these people were cast because they were local. Mm-hmm. They got brought into Twin Peaks Fest because they were local, and it was like, hey, you were in this thing. Yeah. We can get you oh, for cheap. But I'm saying it seems to be like they casted a lot of people from that. Or was it just him? Because he lives in Seattle, and, right? And there's filmed. a handful. I mean, yeah. there's yeah, like um, um, yeah, there's a there's a bunch. So when he 
So there's this night at Twin Peaks Fest that it's the big dinner, mm-hmm. and then there's a costume contest. Um, Where and, they rob the best costume. Yeah, it winning was God. This guy. That'll be a whole story. Um, and so there's a little costume contest. It's big dinner. Everybody gets well. Everybody drinks and enjoys themselves and like goofs yeah, around. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 like a it's your I. There's a. It's the only one with like a dress requirement of you're supposed to be. It's supposed to be, ca- like business casual ish. Like you're supposed to dress nice or be in costume. Yeah. Like it's and it's the first time where you're like, both. don't be in cargo shorts and a t shirt, which is ninety percent of right. Twin Peaks Fest is. Right. Like there's somebody in cargo shorts near you. Don't worry. Um, so so we met a lot of the actors this evening. This evening, that evening, just chit chatting, whatever. Yeah. And at one point, Jesse. No, excuse me. What's his real name? James. James. Sorry. I had a dream that we had a baby and it was named James. Okay. Um, James. Grixoni. Grixoni. He mentioned that he bartends in Seattle. So he kind of made a goof like, if anyone wants to come mm-hmm. visit me in Seattle. And, and he was not only bartending in Seattle, he was bartending at the Mopop. Yeah. The mu- Wait. Mo- the Museum of. Pop culture? Yeah. the pop, the pop Whatever the pop culture museum is called in. Yeah. Mopop. Museum of Pop. It's the Pop Culture Museum in Seattle. And he was, at the time, he's not, he he was only there for a short while, but long enough to get us day drunk the day after fest. Ooh, girl. Okay, so we, so we, I don't think we even really, we talked to him a little bit and we mentioned, oh, we're going to be in Seattle. Maybe we'll come to your thing. He must have told us when he was working. Because he said like, oh, I'm working, you know, whatever. He's. So nice, so nice. He's like, oh yeah, because we were just chatting. He's like, oh man, like, because what's funny about it is that people like him, who's not a super established actor, Mm -hmm. he's working bartending gigs, you know, to supplement. Um, they all came to fest as like, holy shit, this is awesome, and this is like their moment of being famous. Yeah, and people love us for this. Mm and so that was a really cool he, I moment. felt like he was always wearing like Twin Peaks gear yeah. like he was into it yeah he loved it and, and so yeah so we would talk about him and like I think it was also probably a little bit helpful that I, we're not super starstruck we're like we're chill we're yeah. very chill yeah. and cool and a lot of fun to hang out with, with. yeah so we were like just chatted normally with a yeah. person um, and he mentioned that he was working at the thing where it's like, oh, well, we're going, right after this, we're going to Seattle for a few yeah, days. Yeah, we spent like three days in Seattle. Yeah, so if we're not busy, I, we're like, when do you work? He's like, I work weekdays or whatever at the museum. Come. This time, yeah. And so we did. We went. And we did We did the thing, and we like went to the museum, did the museum. I think yeah. we saw him, did the whole museum thing, and then went to the bar and like, hey, this is very weird of us to be doing right now. And he was like, fuck yeah! yeah what's up, he, guys? Joke <laughs> to see us! And, just, and I, I'm pretty, like, he got us, he definitely got us day drunk. And I think he charged us $8 I, total. He gave, yeah, he charged almost nothing and then probably got more drunk than us. He got pretty drunk, too. He did. Which is why he doesn't work there. I was going to say, shortly thereafter, he no longer worked I saw him like job. in a Facebook post. He's like, "Yeah, I just got let go from my." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm not surprised." Because also, like, because his, he was just ignoring everybody. He did not we give a fuck. Yeah, he wanted to hang was, out with us. And his delightful. sweet boss, like his poor, like 
being a fucking bar manager is yeah, the worst. It's the worst. And so she kept walking up like, James, I'm glad you're with your friends here, but you know. So well, I don't even know them. <laughs> like he was like, they. I I just met these guys. Like they're not even old friends of mine. Like it was like yeah, this how- is the perfect world of like I can hang out with people I like. Yeah. But also like oh, but they're not. They're still just customers. Yeah. But then he charged us like four dollars. Like he genuinely, it, it was like uh, less than twenty dollars that he charged was- us for. Many. many. I cannot be clear enough. We many drank drinks for a while too. For a yeah. hot minute. And then we had to go to a baseball game with my cousin and her husband oh, that afterward. Was that same night? Uh-huh. I did oh. not sober up between those two events. Yeah, no. That was a fun game though. It was a fun game probably. Uh, Unclear. Don't remember that much <laughs> of it, Michael. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. No, it was, he was a delight. Couldn't and, have been kinder and like. And he ca- and he got, he got a little bit drunk and he started dishing on like. Some of the drama within like Twin Peaks Fest and how he was kind of getting screwed. Do you remember any of that? Don't remember any of it. I was drinking martinis like, I, with I, an S I'm at the d- end. The only reason I'm even saying this now is because I would normally I would want to protect people, but since CBS or whatever shut or Showtime shut it down, right? Whatever. But like he designed a bunch of great des- t-shirt designs for the fest. And then wouldn't pay him for them. Oh, of course. And all this shit. I do remember this. And like there was a whole thing. Like there was a bunch of shit like that. And then they brought him there and they wouldn't pay for shit. Like he was, oh, but you're going to, you can charge because you can charge for autographs is how they get people. But like people like him aren't going to charge for autographs. It's one thing when you get, you know, Carl Striken or whatever, who's. The giant who oh, thank you. he's noteworthy if if he charges for an autograph if you know these Michael Horse wanted to charge for an autograph yeah. I get that but like he doesn't want to do that and nor is that a right if he's doing like he clearly wanted he, to be there he didn't want to think he's like doing I don't it. even want to profit off of this yeah. I just want you to like cover me pay for my fucking hotel room and shit yeah. and it seemed like they wouldn't do any of that yeah which. Yeah. Not and great. like, and then he gave him this like t-shirt design and he was like, oh, how about this much for it? And they were like, oh no, I thought you were just going to do it. Not okay. Like they Which thought. Which is super not okay. Like, yeah. And they thought he was going to do his design. Like, and so he had this great design and then they went with this other one, which I bought a shirt because I wanted a shirt for, of the fest. You were. And it's a terrible design. You were visibly disappointed design. when you saw it. I remember because you were like, you were like, I you have a million t-shirts. Right. But I want one that and was like, you were like, this was the fest yeah. I was at. And this you, is the official shirt of the fest I was at. It was like on your list of like, I want to make sure, I want to make sure I get like a Twin Peaks Fest 2017 t-shirt. Yeah. And it was not great. I ended up buying just like a men's extra large. You got, yeah, old, you got a different. Twin Pe- you got, it was you just got, a Twin Peaks shirt. Yeah. It, it, like a, Which they had a bunch of other cool shirts and, and things and those are and great. And like a lot of makers. And I have a lot of those. Yeah. But this one, like, it was just, like, it wasn't even, like, formatted right. Like, yeah, it, it, was, it, it had a bunch of text on it that was all, like, it, the fonts not were centered. Yeah. It was it was really bad. Well, and also, like, you and And that's up, what they went with because they didn't want to pay somebody to design a shirt. Right. And I'm sure he was going to charge them a couple hundred bucks. Like, right. I, I mean, who knows? I don't fucking know. But, I, and that's, a I think, a problem overall with, like, you and I are both, like, creative types to some mm-hmm. extent. Or at least were, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, so Mikey's a very good filmmaker and editor. Like, I do cross-stitching and I write and, like, whatever. And now that Etsy and things like that are a thing, it gives people lanes to make money off what they're doing. So I have an Etsy shop that, mm-hmm. like, you know, I do mostly custom work because... Like it? Huh? Oh, like yeah. It? It's Bitches Get Stitched On on um, 
on Etsy. There you go. Um, I'm so There's some Twin Peaks at, designs. You so, can make custom Twin Peaks designs. Yeah, yeah like if you, if want you wanted to. I'm, I don't like any of the Twin The Twin Peaks one I have, I literally made But if like, you have an idea for a Twin Peaks design that you want. That's, I was yeah. just about to say that. Um, that the ones I made were like right when I started learning how to cross stitch. So they're not very good. Sure. So if there is something you have in mind, I would love to make it. Um, I think I've done a Fix Your Hearts or... I did actually really dope fix your hearts or die one for somebody. So maybe I'll post that up. Um, uh, But anyway, all that's to say is I I think it's becoming more and more apparent. Anybody like I'm a freelance writer. Me writing a paragraph for you might not take me that long, but also that's my job. And I've also been writing since I was six and have honed my skill and I'm good at what I do. And there's a reason I charge for it. And there's a reason it's faster for you. Than somebody else's oh because God. you're good I mean, at it. That's like, genuinely the worst thing about being an editor for clients in terms of like, like I worked for a, an agency and the clients would come back and like everybody thinks they can write because everybody can write. Mm-hmm. Everybody can write a sentence probably. Not everybody. Most people yeah, can write a sentence. Yeah, but yeah. like making a good piece of marketing copy or whatever takes some skill sure. that I have that I've worked it's very just, hard at. It's the reason you have good films and terrible films. Exactly. And you think you can do it, but you just can't. And so it's, it's and the Twin Peaks Fest did a lot of, like had a lot of people come in, like have little booths of mm-hmm. I make cork coopers and this is what I sell. So I'm going to bring sure. these over and sell them. And we understand like if I get a solid thing, I give money for that. It was Deeply disappointing to hear that the people who were in charge of Twin Peaks do not respect the expertise and time it takes to make right. a design. Because to them, it's just, oh, it's a design. Oh, you put some words on a paper. I can't design worth shit in right. terms of like actual like Photoshop stuff. Right. So I understand why that's such a big deal. And I understand grammar. So when somebody writes a garbage sentence, I understand technically why it's flawed. I guess I'm just saying I think we need to make sure we're always paying our creative types and not paying them in fucking exposure because fuck you. Because you never get that exposure. Yeah. Exposure to what? Like who is going to look at like Best Buy's website and be like that's a cool graphic. I'm going to do some research. Yeah. Find out who did it and then. Yeah. And I mean yeah you can put that in your report. Anyway the point is it it was it was disappointing to hear and kind of you know I'm, I'm curious curious about the inner workings of Twin Peaks Fest a little bit now that it's Mm-hmm. Now that's over. Anyway, so we're an hour and twenty minutes in. Cool. So anyway, this is our first um, first meeting of Jesse Holcomb, who is the James Crisoni. James Crisoni, uh, who is a doll. Um, so he enters and he announces the arrival of Andy and Lucy's son. He says, "There's a Wally Brando here," which is an absurd name. Like honestly, I feel like. <laughs> Like genuinely, David Lynch's favor of naming people slightly weird shit. He like Sunny Sunny Jim is kind of annoying. Well, they Easy E or whatever her name is weird. They announced Wally Brando he, is a fuck ton of a name. They announced earlier that he was born on Jane or on on um, Marlon Brando Marlon Brando's birthday. birthday. So they obviously went with that. And then this fucking guy took it to a whole new level. But what is, is Wally a name of a character? I think Wally is just the name they wanted to give him. And like, then, and then, oh, since he was born on Brando's birthday, let's give him, let's name him Wally Brando. Okay, so Wally Brando has arrived, and the Brennan, so Lucy and Andy, are 
stoked out of their mind, yeah. which is actually another indicator that they don't use cell phones in that family because they're like, he's here? And I'm like, you don't... Right. You don't know where your son is? I mean, he's an adult, whatever. But he, he lives on the road. Lives on the road. <laughs> um, they leave, and Jesse says that he came to share his respects to the sheriff. And, like, his delivery on that line is, is so All puzzled and, like, trying All to of be... It. And he's dressed straight up, top to bottom, in the most screen-accurate representation of... Marlon Brando's character from The Wild One. Which I've never seen The Wild One. Right. But doesn't matter. It, have you Have you seen it? Is uh, it? I don't think I have. Actually. I saw on the... Like, my only young Brando reference is on the waterfront, right. which I saw, which is very good. Or um, you've, you've seen Stella. You've I've seen never that. seen Stella no? and Desire. I keep huh. meaning to, huh. and okay. I just haven't. Um, um, but they even... And they, guys they, dolls, they even mention at the top of the scene that, like... Frank Truman is my godfather, so there's a godfather reference in there as Harry well. Harry S. Truman is my godfather. Right, right, right. But like, sure, yeah. But the the godfather reference, the wild one, like this dude has adopted everything he can and related does to Brando. Brando in the wild one, does it say his name? Yes. It does. Yes. Okay. <laughs> God, it's, it's so good, and he's leaning on this. So he, here's motorcycle, my, like he, an old school yeah, chopper. Right, yeah. Here's my favorite thing about this is that Michael Sarah was hired for one day of work. Mm-hmm. Came in, met with David Lynch, all the stuff, whatever. Did his whole scene, did this whole fucking monologue. Mm-hmm. It's not short. <laughs> and and then all right, cut it. And Lynch looks at him and goes. That was great. You got another one in you? And Michael Sarah was like, I expected to be doing this over and over and over again for like six hours. And he's like, let's do one more for coverage. And he was like, okay. So they just basically just one and done, uh-huh. came in, did his take with all the glory that you see here it's, and then just left <laughs> like did it one more time just in case uh-huh. and I don't think they used any of it I think they just straight up used his first take and it was glorious yeah and this is uh, a special feature I think because I've seen Kimmy Roberts who's like describing she's like so we just have to stand there for like five minutes and just yeah. gaze at him adoringly yeah. and then that was the scene and then we were done <laughs> like yeah, it's just exactly um, and, and then the, every time they cut away to Frank and he's just like Genuinely, the best listening face yeah, in the business. Just, I'm and I'm listening, and I'm not making any judgments. Mm-hmm. Just taking so it good. in. So good, because uh, he easily could have laugh. done, not Anything. even laugh, but just like the actor or the director or whatever could have said, like you're confused and puzzled by this weird shit that's happening. Make faces, and we'll like yeah. you're the audience but surrogate. Also, and we'll you know Wally. You. You've met him before. I also came back to let my parents know. Because this has been a matter of grave concern for them. That I've decided to let them do what they wish with my childhood bedroom. They wanted they want to build a study for the two of them. Not just sweet people. Oh, that's such beautiful news, Wally. Tell us where you've been, Wally. My family, my friend. I've crisscrossed this great land of ours countless times. 
I hold the map of it here in my heart, next to the joyful memories of the carefree days I spent as a young boy here in your beautiful town of Twin Peaks. From Alexandria, Virginia, to Stockton, California, I think about Lewis and his friend Clark, the first Caucasians to see this part of the world. Their footsteps have been the highways and byways of my days on the road. My shadow is always with me, sometimes ahead, sometimes behind, sometimes to the left, sometimes to the right, except on cloudy days or at night. I, I love, too, that like when people saw the cast list, Mm-hmm. When I talked about how, like, before the show came out, they announced 40 people or so that would be in it. Michael Sarah was one of them. And every, everyone immediately was like, oh, my God, that's Lucy's baby. Everybody was like, look. Immediately they thought that? Immediately was like, look at Michael Sarah and I mean, tell me. I mean, it's a great cast. That is not a direct spawn yeah. of Harry Goaz and Kimmy Robertson. Yeah. Like, like there's, there's possibility that, like, he really is their child. Yeah. <laughs> So this, and I don't know how I'm going to drop some of this speech in because it's so long. And the problem with, by the way, I just want to say for the record, the problem with dropping in clips is that in the third season specifically, because of David Lynch's style that really lets things breathe, there's a lot of silence. So if if the clips that I drop in sound off, it's because I've cut out 15 seconds of silence that I don't want to like. So if they sound weird, that's why. My my favorite thing, and maybe what you can drop into here, is he does the whole spiel about being on the run. The shadow part is my favorite. Sometimes in front of you, sometimes behind me. Sometimes to the left of me, (laughs) sometimes to the right of me. And you're like, okay. Ha, ha, ha. Except for when it's cloudy. And, unless it's cloudy. Or night. at night. <laughs> he's just like, so oh my God. And, just, and he's like, and he's like, but I wanted to pay my respects. And Frank says, okay, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And also. and the, But no, like, so Frank does the, oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're wanting me to say something here? <laughs> um, and also, may the road, road rise, rise up, up to, to meet, meet your, your wheels. wheels. And just made up this thing. And he's like, oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. That's a the wonderful The part when he says, phrase. the map my, of the world Because my is dharma here. is the road. Your dharma. And then just gestures <laughs> everything around him. It's, it's, it's insane. So good. And I love it. I hope I, I can find a clip that like it. works yeah, you audio can only. I'm sure. Um, and then the bit, I think the bit is so fucking funny when he, because he has the same serious oh, mm-hmm. intonation. Like it's and low like, key. Look at him. His eyes are like welling up. Like he's he acting. Believes what he's saying. Um, I is he doing a Brando impression? I don't think so. Vocally, I don't think so. Okay, I like I don't. I, just I mean, don't know maybe Brando. he's got a, that little bit of a list, but I I think. I don't know. The, the I don't, Twin Peaks Fandom.com says he's doing a Marlon Brando. He might be. Impression. I think I think it might just be that like maybe he's the sensibilities that you apply to David Lynch of like the slow, mm-hmm. steady deliveries. 
That's also kind of the yeah. dead modern Brando. Also, I'm wondering... You know, like I'm those things if he's, match. If he's doing an impression of like 25 year old Marlon Brando, as as opposed sure. to like the 60 sure. something one that we're used to seeing. Yeah. Um, but the bit with I have decided to grant my parents permission <laughs> to turn my childhood bedroom <laughs> into incredible. a study. It's like incredible. Just, and at, like every single person, like that that scene alone. Oh God. Do, that scene alone is amazing is the end of that thought. But we talked about when we first, when Twin Peaks first came out <laughs> and um, I, you were in the basement because you rewatched everything twice. Like mm-hmm. like Sundays before the new show, you would watch the previous week's show again. Yeah. you tip it, or, or sometime midweek or whatever. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I watched every episode twice before the next one aired. Yeah. And I walked and I think you said it was when Leslie and Jeff were leaving uh, yeah. our friends after the Twin Peaks party, and I walked in to say something to you. I think they had just walked out, and I walked in on this scene with no yeah. context and was like slack jawed. Like I had no, <laughs> I had no frame of because I had only seen the no, I mean the first two episodes, I guess. Mm-hmm. So like, but like <laughs> even, you walk in and even see, with reference, it makes no goddamn sense. And so when you walk in, and you, I mean me naively, when I walked in, I was like, okay. When I watch this in context, it's going to make sense. It somehow makes less sense now. <laughs> but, like, your joy in not only watching that, but watching me watch that was palpable. Was, like, you were so fucking delighted. I, this scene is just... It's it's just so silly it really, in the best way. I think to us, it is peak our comedy sensibilities. I think yeah, you maybe. and I both tend to enjoy at least our like Venn diagram overlap sure yes that's fair we tend to enjoy like very serious things that are silly like things that are silly that are taken seriously sure. I mean that's the best comedy is. yeah like we just watched Robin Hood Men and Tights and like yeah. I feel they the, do a lot of that that like everybody's taking it very seriously but it's the very best dumb. way to deliver a, a bad joke is yeah very seriously mm-hmm. I about a year ago I interviewed Guy Branham mm-hmm. um and he had a uh, show, God, a, a show. Guy Branham is an incredible comedian He's writer. I He's a giant man. A giant <laughs> man. Could not be nicer. We Yeah, uh, he's a teddy bear. Yeah. Oh my god. So last last year we were in LA, Mikey's uh, office, his headquarters are in LA, so we go he goes there a couple times a year in in the Normally. before times. Um, and I usually come with him in January because he is there for a week for some kind of training thing and I want to get the fuck out of Chicago and generally have jobs that allow me the flexibility of working remotely. Uh, and so for my other podcast, I've started, like while I'm there, I'm gonna try, like, I bring all my recording equipment mm-hmm. and it's heavy and gets me a lot of dirty looks when I'm going through security. They mm-hmm. do think I'm constantly bringing bombs into and out of the airports, but it's just microphone stands. Um and I had yeah, been. That was the base plate. Yeah, yeah. I had, and they're always so confused when they see it, and the, like they're getting less confused because more obnoxious podcasters like me are flying with their equipment. <laughs> it's like, did I ever tell you the time that somebody, I was flying from, it was right after we moved, and I was flying to San Francisco, I think, uh, for work, and I had left a, an old hoof pick that I had in my house, and I, <laughs> yeah, le- I it was so. like in the you know in suitcases when there's like the laptop pocket. Yeah. When we're moving, you just have so much detritus just around your house. And so at some point, you just start throwing shit in bags. Yeah. 
And so I, I thought I had unpacked my backpack, but I was going through security and they're like, okay, there's something. And I was like, whatever, like I have a laptop in, you know, my wallet in my bag. <laughs> and they pull out a, when I used to live in Montana, I got my favorite horse's horseshoes and brought it to our farrier. And he made me a picture frame and a hook out of the, um, out of the horseshoes. <laughs> and then when you make them, when you have four horseshoes, you can make the picture frame, you make the hook, and then there's like one half left over of a horseshoe. And so he makes that into a hoof pick, which is what you use to clean a horse's hooves. Sure. It's, it's not creative labeling. Toe pick. <laughs> Toe pick. And so it's a piece of iron pounded mm-hmm. into a point. <laughs> yeah. Like slightly flat, but yeah, it's a fucking shank. It's a prison shank. <laughs> and so they are going through my backpack and pull it out. And genuinely, even though I knew what it was and why it was there, I was so surprised that I hadn't, like, I I didn't expect that to show up. And the woman and I looked at each other, we're both like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know what to fucking tell you. And the woman, like, holds it up to another person, like, what is this? And I was like, it's a half pick. You can throw And so at one point, I was like, why don't you just throw it away? Like, we don't need this anymore. But just, it was the yeah. look of befuddlement matched the the poor security persons. <laughs> anyway, God. Guy Branham had a show called Talk to Talk to the Game Show when I got to interview him when I was it's in LA. On... It's on HBO Max now. HBO Max now. Um, yes. And I had been rewatching it in preparation for me interviewing him. And I ended up going to his house because that was the only place we could find. And I, I finally like verbalized a thing that I hadn't been able to in a long time. I said, I like really stupid shit that people take incredibly seriously. Mm-hmm. And like that's what talk show the game. It's literally making a game show out of out of a talk show and mm-hmm. like if you name drop you get this many points and there's judges and they do very serious like now you dwelled on your daughter a lot nobody cares about your children so i'm gonna give you six points like <laughs> it's very yeah. dumb and very serious and that's what this scene is personified yeah, like it's, it's extremely stupid and pointless and it's hysterically funny every it's not even just like oh well michael sarah delivers this so over the top and was so seriously the earnestness to which Frank Truman receives it is beautiful, and the excitement that that Kimmy and Lucy and Andy have toward it is so delightful. It's it's so delight. Like I don't, I don't know how anyone can watch this scene even by itself, never having seen Twin Peaks, and be like, "What the fuck?" I would argue it's just as good without any exactly. Context. Like possibly so better because you don't so have to. Because it makes no sense. Absolutely, it doesn't. It's it doesn't just, move a plot along. It's just like it. It's like a like he gives Twin Peaks gives you a lot. It gives you a lot of heavy stuff, dark stuff, silly stuff, whatever, and then gives you these little breaks every mm-hmm. once in a while. Of like take a break, enjoy this stupid scene. It's gonna be funny, and then we'll move on with the series. Well, and I think that's the because then right after this is when we go to the prison, right. Um, and I think that is right? a... Um, I think so. No, we're going to go back to Las Vegas. Oh, okay. Um, I, I think this is one of the things that is a direct result of David Lynch being given absolute control. Yeah. Oh, this would never have... Yeah. Nobody would put this in it. I'm sure they had to pay Michael Sarah way too much for and, one day of work. Are you and cold the, and I'm hot now? What's going on with the and temperature the in this house? Scene. 
Like, and the, it's the yeah, same thing. That's it's exactly like, what I These are things that I want to say. And mm-hmm. if you don't let me say them, I don't want to do this mm-hmm. show. Because, I, I mean, yeah, David Lynch is... It's funny because his work isn't necessarily inherently political or necessarily even social commentary. But he has these beliefs and mm-hmm. this is his platform to... right. Put them out He's in the a world. True artist. Yeah, I, 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 I think you're absolutely. I've been thinking a lot about like movies and TV okay. as art. We should watch the Art Life if you ever want to. The doc, the David Lynch doc. Thing. Okay, and we can do it for this. Oh yeah, true. Um, but I, I just think it's a really wonderful way to, to acknowledge that he's. Are you okay? Okay. I'm gonna go, about to go to the bathroom in a minute. Okay, I just want to to acknowledge that like he has shit he wants to say, and he found the platform to say mm-hmm. it. And it wasn't a movie, and it wasn't a serialized show. It was this mm-hmm. miniseries. Yeah, and it's great. So, <laughs> so we're back in Vegas. We've got uh, Dougie is sitting on. So in the, so I, I'm gonna apologize if I get tripped up. They. In TwinPeaksFandom.com, they use Cooper for basically anybody that mm. that he's playing, that Kyle McLaughlin is playing. Okay. I'm going to try to, because I think it's important to differentiate yeah, the yeah, characters, yeah. because Mr. C is very different from Dougie, who's very different from Dale Cooper. Sure. Um, so and I'm, honestly, I we don't really see Cooper, except for in lodge spaces. Oh, yeah. So far. Yeah, that's fair. Um, that's fair. So... So uh, Dougie is sitting on his bed, um, and Mike faintly. So we see Mike kind of wandering around. So this is something I don't think we've. Seen, or maybe I'm wrong. Who fucking knows? Hmm. I, we have a clip of Mike, uh, who's a one-armed man, just kind of wandering around the red room, looking. Right. But it's a blank room. Like it's, you got the chevron floor, you have the curtains. Mm-hmm. I don't think at that point there was even chairs in there. Right. So he's just wandering around looking, um, and. Mike, okay, Mike faintly appears to him to say that he was tricked and holds up a small golden orb. Mike tells him one of them must die, then Cooper feels the need to urinate, so Janie E. takes him to the bathroom and relieves himself. Okay, I cannot believe they put all of that in one sentence. Right, I was just going to say, like, <laughs> Jesus, I wasn't expecting that. Um, so we see we see Mike, we see Dougie, and then there's like a film, again, a very old school just overlay. Yeah. overlay. Um, and then they seem to see each other. And mm-hmm. Mike is still talking backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dougie is still borderline catatonic. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any thoughts on the golden yes. orb? Okay, good. So this is this is where we talked. This is where I wanted to get into my whole polar extremes and oh, find great. the middle ground theories. Like this whole, and I just started really thinking about this a lot this time. But we've learned that the golden orb is. Or we do learn. Maybe we don't necessarily know that yet. But we saw it in the creation of... Like, that orb, that golden orb creates life. Okay, so the... Of fr- sorts. Can in I the real world. Can I just interject? Ahead. The yeah. only thing I can remember about the golden orb is when Dougie, when Dougie is in Dougie comes the red back room. and he turns back into that. And that's... Because I, I made a comment, like, why does it say a clean golden orb or something weird like that? And right. they're like, no, no, it's important that... It feels to me like an egg almost. Like, it's... Oh, okay. it's An this, egg or it's symbolic of an egg. Yeah. Okay. And it's the starting point for creating a thing. So what... 
So Mike, was the orb leaving Dougie his life leaving? Yeah, so that Dougie that uh-huh. we knew, that manufactured Dougie is done. That's right. He was manufactured. Is no more. Okay. That existence that was created from a golden orb uh-huh. is, is returned to a golden orb. Okay. And is nothing more than that. I think when you get Mike here, if you get the one man telling him you were tricked. So that Dougie was not supposed to exist. Gold jacket Jade Dougie was not supposed to exist. Okay. Mr. C created gold jacket Dougie. Right? He was manufactured. Right. By Mr. C so that when this Cooper comes out, instead of pulling Mr. C in back into the lodge, it pulls pulls in the fake manufactured one. You've served your purpose. That was his purpose. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, when the problem with that now is that when Cooper came out, he came out and just instead of swapping with Mr. C, like he was supposed to, he swapped with this Dougie. It's artificial. And, yeah. Cooper and body. that's what Mike is telling him. You were tricked. So when he's talking, when he's saying you, is he talking to Dale Cooper? Yes. Okay. Half of Dale Cooper. Because my thought here is that this is the good half of Dale Cooper. I think like anybody in the world, you have a good half, you have a bad bad half. You know what I mean? Okay. You're polar extremes, and the, the true Dale Cooper is a combination of both of those things. Mm-hmm. The good half of Dale Cooper is this Dougie guy, where everything, he, like we said- Everything t- touches every, gold. Yeah, everything gets good. He's winning in the, in the casino. He's Are you bring- implying that Dougie was like that prior? No. Okay. No. So Dougie, Dougie, the actual human being, or whatever he was right. before he was occupied by Cooper, was, was causing problems. He was indebted to whatever this is. Yeah, he was not a good person. Like yeah, there's people who wanted to kill him. He wasn't good. Mm-hmm. This new Dougie is good. Good things are happening to those around him. Right. This guy is good. Mister C, evil. Okay. Those are the polar extremes. Those two need to combine. Okay. To make... So they're both Cooper, but they're not Dale Cooper as we know him until they combine. So we ideally want them to combine. Because I think I think initially, at the end of season two, when he enters the Black Lodge or whatever it is, his self splits into two parts. Good and bad. And one part got out, which is the evil part. And the other part... And do we think that got out with him when he came out of the bathroom in the Great Northern? That's just, that's the evil part that got out. That's what I'm asking. Okay. The evil part got out, and that's who we see at the very end of How's Annie, How's Annie, How's Annie. Okay. Is the entirely evil part of Cooper, maybe the other half of that entity is is occupied by Bob or whatever. Mm -hmm. Good Cooper... And this comes from like what Annie says of the good Dale is in the lodge. Good Dale, all the entire only good parts of Dale Cooper are stuck in in this realm. 
Okay. So so Cooper, a, a replacement of Cooper doesn't get out. Half of Cooper gets out. And so and now we see. it's the bad half. Okay. So, so the good half is out, but the good half is out in this. And he's supposed to have been reunited with his original self. But he wasn't. So he but instead, because, because the other Dougie was manufactured, he's now this other half Cooper floating around in the world who doesn't understand. Okay. Okay. That's my thought. That makes sense. So my uh, the reason I was kind of dragging my heels on the like the good versus evil everything is I don't necessarily think a great lesson is that being completely bad is bad, but so is being completely good, which is what I always th- that's why I was always confused when you were saying like the good part is in the middle because to me the good part was always the good part, the coffee that mm-hmm. spilled was coffee that I want to drink. Mm-hmm. The middle was oil. I do not want to drink oil. Mm-hmm. I think it. I think it. Right, and then but then you also don't want the solid, obviously, because that's the, the worst. You can't even drink. But I'm un- sorry. I, would, I just want to finish my thoughts because because uh, I did not understand what you're saying, and now I think I got it. So so it's not just. To me, it's not just necessarily good versus bad. What I'm seeing now is that Dougie, who we know, this good half of Cooper. Dougie Yellow Jacket or Dougie Green Jacket? Dougie. Uh, like the, the Dougie that was manufactured or the Cooper that came out as Dougie? Cooper that came out as Dougie. Okay. So what we're seeing now, because when you said Dougie... When you said Dougie represents only the good part of Cooper, I was like, well, then why is he like a fucking dolt who only... But now I'm understanding that I don't know if I would classify it as good versus evil. I would classify it as maybe analytic versus maybe ethereal or something like that. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's not just... Like you said, the good is there. Good things happen to people around him. He keeps Mm -hmm. falling uphill. But what he's missing is any sense of analysis, any sense of mm-hmm. intelligence. And that's the middle ground stuff. Right, but I just, I have a problem saying that intelligence and the ability to put a tie on is evil. Well, <laughs> And no. wandering around repeating what people say is good. It's, it's, it's the good parts of Cooper, sure. But also, he's in this body that has been living in an ethereal space for 25 So, do you think the reason Dougie... I don't know, I was just thinking of Anchorman. Even the guy who can't think said something. Is Dougie actually somebody who cannot think? A little bit. I think it's, a li- I think it's still just like, you spend 25 years in this fucking place. And it's like, yeah. when you go outside, especially in the wintertime when there's snow on the ground and it's all bright, and then you walk back in the house and you're like, I feel weird for like a good few minutes. That's a really good You know comparison. what I mean? Like, it takes a while to re-fucking calibrate. I like that a lot, Michael. Like, that's that's what it feels like. He's, he's recalibrating, but he doesn't have, like you said, the analytical side, the... Mm-hmm. Playing devil's advocate. Let's see what the good and the Not bad even is. Devil's advocate, just 
applying any logical right. thinking to that what part, you see around he's you. He's just pure goodness in whatever. Uh, the But the goodness of Cooper in this body that he's not familiar with. And I think the thing that bothers me is that, like, yes, you're 10,000% right. Good things keep happening around Dougie Jones. Um, the Mrs. Jackpots is what I'm going to call her. Wins her sure. shit. Whatever, like we, we we see that, and we will continue to see he that. Saves like Janie E from the whatever that debt is. There's, yeah. But the problem is, like, yes, he saved Janie E from the debt or whatever happened, which ostensibly Dougie Jones caused. But that's neither here. But nor the there. other manufacturer, Dougie right, Jones, right, who has nothing but, to do with. Cooper but here's the thing. Yeah. Here's why I'm gonna okay like maybe hold up this idea that this is good Cooper is yes good things happen to people around him like Mrs. Buckets Mrs. Jackpot she is she goes by many names she's really good at basketball (laughs) (laughs) but but he makes people around him actively miserable like yes Janie E is now out of debt well I don't know every time he talks to Janie E and she has to tell him how to pee and how to get dressed I don't think he's doing that but but you're but okay then what is he doing versus I think is he doing the I think because she's she's not a new character for him for okay the the characters he's meeting for the first time Uh are infected by this good Mrs. Jackpots or whatever, people like that or whatever. Janie E doesn't realize that this is a different Dougie. But that, I mean, that doesn't even hold up because of um, Brett Gelman. And like he's making all of the, like he's making Brett Gelman suspicious. He's making everybody. I mean, he's still just, he's still a body. He's still an entity. I mean, he's not, he's not. The, he's, but then your your theory falls apart if you say the people he met for the first time. But he's only a half good person. He's he's the good parts of Cooper occupied an entire body. Cooper, here's my the thing is Cooper isn't entirely good. Right. Cooper's a flawed individual. Also, of you're course. only getting the good parts of Cooper, and you're putting him in this entity, which is this Dougie Jones body. So he's the if if Cooper is a quarter good or half good, you're getting a quarter or half good amount within this entire body. So you're saying he's like a quarter full body? Yeah. Okay. So that he's that's why he's not he still has the natural instincts of like he knows how to walk. He Mm -hmm. knows does not know how to pee, but he does. Once he got told where to go, he just did it. He knew to do it. Like, she didn't have to, like, hold his dong and, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like. Ding dong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, little uh, jobless callback. Nice. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you, like, I feel like it's all of these parts are combining and. Possibly even it's even even more spread out because of this third entity that was created in the Dougie Jones. So ha- the evil half of Cooper. Oh, the original formation. The e- original Dougie evil Jones. half of Cooper is now not only half of real Cooper, 
it's expanded into this entirely evil entity because it's had 25 years to do that. Okay. Okay. And so this guy is like a baby good Cooper in the body of a full-grown man. A puppy, as we described him. Kind before. of, yeah. Um, and so he's getting insights and he's little by little having memory bursts. Excuse me, little like bursts of memory of like mm-hmm. when he recognized Sycamore or like sure. he sees his face in the mirror and he's like, that means something, but I don't know what. All of that stuff is happening. But I don't. Th- so when, so when he, so, okay. So this all goes to when one of our man says you were tricked. One of you has to die. I think as soon as one of those people dies, when there's now only one Dale Cooper in the world. Mm-hmm. In any form. Exactly. That's when we're going to get Dale Cooper. Okay. And that is the amalgamation of all the good, all the bad, all the whatever that is Dale Cooper. And I think that's the middle cup of coffee. And I think Cooper isn't as good as people think he is. You don't. You don't. It's not a, like, you you, you want to want to be good. You want to want to drink the, the good coffee. But in actuality, you're not. Okay. You're you're. The idea is to strive for good, but reality, you're not good. You're not as good as you. You know it's what I mean? It's a very Catholic way to look at life. Like you're born in sin, and no I matter don't think, what. I don't think you're born evil or whatever. But I think it's hard to be. I, and maybe that's not everyone is. Maybe some people are the good coffee. Cooper is not. Okay. I think Cooper has a lot of evil in him mm-hmm. that he buries. I think it's subconscious stuff that he is shut down and his his Cooper's reality is the middle cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Although he can strive for the good cup of coffee and other people can be the good cup of coffee. Cooper himself is not the good cup of and coffee. And he constantly is striving for the good cup of coffee. Right. Like that's his basic. He wants to be good, but it's. It's like he wants to be good because he's making up for something bad. But he's striving for the good cup of coffee both literally and metaphorically. He both wants to be a better person and also wants fucking to consume loves all the coffee. coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but that was a roundabout way. But that's kind of where I feel. Mm-hmm. It might not be related to everybody like I think you were impl- putting it on. I think that's what I was saying. And I yes. might have been saying that, but... This may have turned it to, it's not about everybody. It's about Cooper specifically. Okay. I think that's fair. But I think Cooper is that middle cup of coffee. Okay. Can I ask kind of an esoteric question? No. All right. So with Dougie's tie, <laughs> if if uh, if David Lynch was listening to this, say this particular episode. Hey, which I'm sure he is. Oh my God. Constantly. Yeah, he, he will not stop fucking like, emailing like david lynch Buddy, we've already had we some it. guests on the show we don't need you <laughs> uh, um we had my friend leslie on the show yeah, uh, so we've gotten our getting um do you think that this whether we're right or wrong or whether there is a right or wrong to be had do you think that all of this was formulated by david lynch and mark frost or do you think this is us trying to make sense of scribbles. Don't care. Okay. I I think he certainly consciously made enough effort to give you the information to make that assessment. 
I think those that's intentional. And every all of these elements that I'm referencing are all part of David Lynch creations. Okay. Like the, that cup of coffee that is the symbol for all of this mm-hmm. is part of the finale. But it's which the is, symbol for all of this that you decided was the symbol for all of this. Well, it could for, for this theory, the symbol of this theory. Oh, and I see what you mean. I yeah. see what you mean. So, so yeah, we were saying the same thing. Yes. It's it's that's a David Lynch creation. Mm-hmm. It isn't like oh well. In middle of season two, sure. I'm referencing this thing, which had nothing to do with David Lynch. So I'm, I would think that, yes, there's some truth to it because all of the elements that I'm picking up to reinforce or back this up mm-hmm. tend to be David Lynch-inspired sure. moments. I'm thinking that David Lynch, his creations are sort of like a word search puzzle of... There's definitely words in there <laughs> if you make it through the noise mm-hmm. of everything else. And like we may never find all of the words. And mm-hmm. some of those words might be unintentional. Mm-hmm. But they're in there if you care to find it. Absolutely. Yeah. I That's, that's one of my better metaphors. I tend to think only in metaphors. I think that was a particularly good one of mine. Yeah. But that's exactly it. I think he... He gives. He, he that's why he's so good as an artist, mm-hmm. and it's it's the same way you know you can listen to a good song and be like this. Oh, this really reminds me of that time when me and my mm-hmm. ex girlfriend were whatever, and you're like, no, this 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 was about him and his dad fishing one day. Oh, totally. Like that's what it was written from. But you need to be able to write in those abstract enough points. Oh, that's and it's easier to do in a song take, because Mikey. it's shorter and like, oh, it's just you're listening to the melody and oh, I never even really thought about the lyrics. That's the way I feel like you're supposed to watch David Lynch. Mm-hmm. Take the ride of the emotions and I never even really thought about the script. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the way music can just, you just let it absorb you. That's what you're supposed to do with a David Lynch project. I think that's why I've been enjoying... Mikey and I, I think, do very much to the fact that we've been doing this podcast. We've been watching a lot of like what we've dubbed as dream logic movies, mm-hmm. and I don't know a better way to put it than that. Of just, mm-hmm. I think I've talked about it in the past. I think it's clear, um, and it's just made me think a lot about. I think the reason I didn't always. I wasn't always drawn to movies as like my emotional outlet. The Films, way pictures, the flickers is what we call them. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, how often do you even go to the Nickelodeon? <laughs> the Nickelodeon? How could you? Um, honestly, I genuinely think maybe Portrait of a Lady on Fire was like a really life changing movie for me. It's a, it's a absolutely perfect movie i completely agree but not but and (laughs) um i think so i like i would say my primary way of having stories told to me is writing that's like the Mm -hmm. way i prefer that's my favorite art form right i'm a writer i love to read and i think and this is no accident. I think this is absolutely a thing that Hollywood did on purpose when they adapt books to movies. You're telling a story on film. You're telling it in a different way. But when I see things like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Snecked in New York, 
comes to mind, even I'm thinking of ending things, those could not exist if it weren't a movie. Mm -hmm. Because there's visual elements that aren't supplemental. They are essential. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I'm starting, like, because really in the last year or so I've been watching a lot more movies with you Mm -hmm. I never was a movie person but I think I am starting to appreciate more so than I ever have that like it's not just visual storytelling it's the visuals are part of the story they're not uh, they're not an addition I just watched the special features for Tenet which I loved Tenet which Uh, made me want to watch a lot of people didn't three minutes but I think that's exactly it is that people are so there's a movie coming out every fucking day mm-hmm. and people are so like, ah, I don't care mm-hmm. that they just want a movie and they want to understand it and they want whatever. Mm-hmm. The shit and that went into and the effort that was put into the style of how and like the many, so the basic concept of Tenet is there's, it's about entropy and exist like the uh, objects existing and moving forwards through time as we perceive it normally Mm -hmm. and those that can go backwards through time and that's how they perceive it Mm -hmm. which you know this isn't a an original like this was this is merlin the character merlin this is his whole jam is he travels backwards through time i don't know if that's a thing you're aware of but here's the thing it's and what i loved in in the special features that i thought was great is You've never until film existed, you've never been able to visualize the concept of backwards through time. Okay. Yeah. And so to use the medium of film to tell this story and to have a fight scene of one character moving backwards and the other character moving forwards and they're fighting each other is incredible. Mm-hmm. And they use a series of tricks. They have people moving backwards. And reverse the film so that they're going forwards. You have people going forwards, reverse the film so they're going backwards. You have people going forward and the other person's going backwards and they play it normal. Like all sorts of different tricks and techniques yeah. to make this work I watched, so that it doesn't fall into this trap of like, oh, well, they just play it backwards. So that's yeah, how you get it. I, and it's incredible. I haven't seen Tenet yet. And genuinely, I wa- Mikey had me watch like three minute, like a little three minute like mini doc about... Mm-hmm the fight scene choreography and incredible yeah um god anyway sorry but that's but but all of that is to say tenant is incredible if you just watch it sure cinematically and just watch it for the visuals and for what it took to make these visuals happen yeah i don't give a shit about the story yeah i don't give a shit about the words that they're saying yeah well i'm god i've been thinking a lot lately about like pretension and what that means and what it doesn't because the other night we want what was that german movie that we watched with the twins good night mommy good night mommy we watched together at the request of one of our listeners oh really yeah oh thank you do you know who it was off the top of your head courtney thank you courtney that movie was cuckoo bananas crazy but i had a moment of we were watching it together and if somebody had said to me, like, oh, the other night I watched this German outhouse horror movie, I'd be like, you're the worst person I've ever met and I don't <laughs> want to talk to you. But, like, when people are like, oh, I really like foreign films, I'm always like, oh, my God, like, jerk off motion, whatever. But, like, I am now understanding as I get older the 
the appreciation of the art form for because it's not trying to be another thing. It's not mm-hmm. trying to emulate a book or something. Which and I'm not even saying that like I think David Fincher did Gone Girl better than Gillian or Gillian hmm. Flynn is. Still I'm not clear. I've heard her interviewed multiple times, still unclear if it's Gillian or Gillian. <laughs> um but like I think the movie Gone Girl was better than the, or I enjoyed it more. Yeah. I shouldn't say it's better. That's empirical. Um but I, I don't know. I, I think I'm just having sort of like a little like tour de force of of movies and kind of changing how I view art like as a whole. And I think this podcast is no small part of that. Good. Of cool. like picking and choosing through. <gasps> Next, we should do a book and we should do chapter by chapter. And then you'll learn books and I'll learn movies. And then we'll be. Secret History of Twin Peaks. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> You don't want to read Great Gatsby together? No, not really. No, you don't. <laughs> it's a really short book. I can't emphasize that enough. I've read it. If I'm going to read something, I don't want to read one of the eight books I've read. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it wild that we got married and I actively don't really like movies and you actively don't really like to read and we're still like, yeah, you know, we'll make this work. <laughs> And you were a film I mean, major. And it, I want to be clear. It, you were a film major. I was a lit major. It's all we do. It provides us our own alone time. It's great. I cannot emphasize enough. If you can put two different TV watching spaces in your home, do it. It changed oh, yeah. our relationship. We have five TVs in this house. One, two, three. Oh, my God, we do. How fucking bougie are we? And one's in the guest room. <laughs> I, every time, every once in a while, I think about it because I always think of the scene in Back to the Future, and he's like, when he's, when he's like, oh, you got a TV? Yeah, in fact, we got two of them. You have two televisions. Nobody has two televisions. He's lying. He's pulling your leg. That whole fucking scene. It's great. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, we got a TV in our kitchen, and we're like, fuck yeah. What up? And guess what? There were four movie, four TVs in the house. So when I wanted to watch TV by myself, I had to sit on the counter in my kitchen and watch TV by myself. That's why I watched so much VH1. There was no DVD player in that kitchen. Boy, oh boy, Ben the Young is just fun. Are you ready to get back to this episode? Or do you have more thoughts on whatever esoteric garbage we were talking about? But we're going to jump into the very cool prison sequence. Yes. Well, yeah, okay, so just to skip through... Uh, <laughs> the one-sentence breakdown they have of that scene, and you get you get Cooper's first thumbs up. Yeah, Cooper's first thumbs up. We see Cooper... So she, uh, Janie E's dressing him for yeah. him, which, bless her, she has the patience. I swear to fucking God, if you woke up and made me dress you, I would leave but this house and un- never even look back. Like, never think about that's you again. That's not uncommon, though. I know, I, and I find like, that really... Especially because I know she, it, those kind of things bother you, but that's very, very common. Dressing your yes in the year it's, of our Lord, twenty seventeen. Yes, it, I don't think it's right. Do you want and me to I, put your t shirts on you? Every absolutely day? not. <laughs> and I don't want it, and I think it's ridiculous, but it's not uncommon. Well, because the next thing she does is go downstairs, and I think we've talked about this before to make breakfast makes for a them. Full on breakfast, yeah. not just like oh, here's a toaster strudel, which would be breakfast in the Bloomkey House growing up, but like. Yeah. She's making pancakes. Yeah. Pancakes are surprisingly tricky to make. And, like, you can see that there's, like, bags of flour and stuff. She's not even just using, like, making biscuits. From She's making pancakes. Yeah. Do we, know, does, do we know anything about Janie E? Does she... Jeannie or Janie? Janie. Janie E, does she have a... Do we find out if she works outside the home? 
Uh, that's a good question. I don't recall. I don't think she does. And I guess that's the other thing is I grew up in a single income family. So my mom was a stay-at-home mom until I was like 12, which you never had. Maybe that looks st- like maybe if you and I had kids and you were working and I wasn't, our routine would look. Uh, no, there's no universe in which I would button your shirts for you. Sorry, maybe. Do you want that? No. Do you want me to zip up your hoodies? It's ridiculous. No. But you're a child. So anyway, Dougie grabs his junk and Janie E. Very generous. Like, I work with special needs kids and that's some shit they pull. And you're like, okay, let's like you. But the way she addresses that is the same way I would if like a 13 year old kid was like grabbing himself like oh okay you have to go to the bathroom we're gonna go to the bathroom not excuse me you're a 50 or 60 year old man can you not pee that's the thing is we get a 30 second conversation between yellow jacket Dougie Jones you say yellow jacket is that when we first meet him and he's got the yellow jacket with Uh Jade so that's that's, that's that's who you think is Dougie Jones with the frizzled hair. Dougie Jones Prime. Right. The 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 Dougie Jones that was actually manufactured. We the, we only see that Dougie Jones for thirty seconds in his interaction with a sex worker, mm-hmm. and a little bit in the red room. He talks a little bit in the red room, and, he? and all he does is that's weird. Yeah. Cool. Which lead me to believe a lot of this ridiculousness that we see in Cooper is not that far off from. Dougie Jones is just like Miley's yeah. favorite kind of person. He's just a fucking idiot. Yeah. And he's just worthless. And he's likely, I think they even mentioned that at one point, that he had a stroke at some point a few years ago. Oh, really? I think so. Then she should be more concerned. <laughs> if, you, if he but has a history of strokes. But she's probably just stressed and sure. scared and nervous and all this stuff because he disappears for three, for three days, days at a time. Yeah. And like... And I think it's telling that she said, you've been gone for three days. It does not appear that she's called the cops. It does not appear that. It's not that. Because it's not uncommon. Yeah, it's not that she's not worried, but it's not. It's not uncommon. Exactly. Right. Um, So she dresses him, says, you do the tie. I have to go get Sunny Jim. She can't do the tie, she says. She starts making breakfast. She gets downstairs. I I actually like this little scene between. 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 uh, Dougie and Sunny Jim because Sunny Jim is like kind of on board for this weird shit that his dad is pulling mm-hmm. of like oh and, this is what syrup is and there's this natural paternal protective instinct of Cooper Dougie to mm-hmm. want to interact with this kid mm-hmm. and like he's not confused by him he's you don't think no like I think the do you think that's because Sunny Jim looks at him gives him the thumbs up and Sonny Jim should be mad at him for not showing up to his birthday party. Yeah, that's fair. And Sonny Jim shows, gives him the thumbs up, and he gives him the thumbs up, and then he like turns. He's a little confused, but he's also like, "I'm supposed to engage with this kid." Yeah, I think kids are also pretty malleable and adaptable. Sure, like Cooper, who's basically a child. Yeah. Okay. Um, but he comes out with the tie on his head, which is just an iconic look. Mm-hmm. It is. It's the the just scene draped over his, the top of his head. Not even Doesn't like, he have it tucked into his? It's like underneath his jacket. Yeah. It just gave birth to a thousand Halloween costumes immediately. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. 
Cooper goes to the breakfast table. Sunny Jim helps him eat down, sit down and eat his pancakes. Janie E. brings him some coffee. He takes a sip. He spits it out immediately because it's hot. And he grins and says, hi. I thought he said hot. I didn't even realize he said what word, to be honest. Yeah. I'm going to, okay, I'm going to drop that in here. Because I heard hot, and I'm curious over real estate. I just always saw this as the same thing when he's in episode three, where they're they're about to throw the rocks, and she gives him the coffee, and he takes a sip and just turns and spits it out immediately, and he's like, damn fine. Like, Wait, the last... Oh, 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 oh. Episode three of season yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I thought you meant the previous no, no, no. episode. The, the original, whatever, when when, gotcha. when they're about to do the rock throwing The Tibetan thing. rock throwing scene. Right. And he, the, his, yes, anat- yes, his yes, first, yes. like, just visceral reaction mm-hmm. to good coffee uh-huh. is damn fine coffee. And he spits it out immediately because it's just so overwhelming to the senses. Sure. It's that exact same thing. And sure. I think there's a memory click there a little mm-hmm. bit. And that's the vibe I got. So I never, you really, excuse me, I never really thought of words or whatever sure. that he might actually be saying. Um, okay, so we have a quick scene at, I guess, the coroner with Constance Talbot. Um, she shows Chief Boyd Detective Mackley the results of the male John Doe found in Ruth Davenport's apartment. Okay, I'm going to do a quick, if, if somebody doesn't necessarily remember what happened. So in the first episode, we found a body in Ruth Davenport's apartment. Um, it had her head. Ruth's and a, head, yeah. It had Ruth's head and a male body. So now they're trying to figure out who the fuck this right. guy it's is. prints so th- from that male body. Now they got a hit on those prints. But, but re- they can't see the they result. Need a military because authorization. They need a military so authorization. some shit is going down here. And that's all right. that we see of that that scene. So now um we're in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. So this is where uh Dark Cooper, Mr. C has been mm-hmm. held. And this is where Jane and and Macklea they are too. Oh, they're in South, South Dakota yeah. as well. Um, so Gordon Cole arrives with Preston and Rosenfield. Um, they're greeted by two other FBI agents, one driving them to the prison where Cooper's, where Mr. C is being held. Um, they are, wait, did I, I just want to, okay, so they didn't say anything. I genuinely adored this scene between um, Gordon Cole and and Rosenfeld. Rosenfield? I don't know, I'll never get that right. I'm Anything I say, I'm second guessing it. Um, when he's, so Gordon kind of is like, sort of indicates why is Tammy in the front seat and we're in the back. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he said, oh, she gets carsick. And he does some spiel about, he being... Cossacks um, are from Russia. The Cossacks are from Russia. And And But I love before that part is when he's like, this isn't anywhere near the Mount Rushmore. Oh, my God. And 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 he gets a picture. Albert Art, like, preemptively knew that was going to happen and gives him a picture. And then Cole is like, looking at it faces of stone like 
This time when I looked, when, when that scene was happening, I was like, does he say some weird shit about like, we're worshiping mediocre politicians from 200 years ago still? And is that the best thing we need to be doing? But he didn't say that. Uh, Mount Rushmore is at best controversial. I know, at- I know but I didn't understand. What you oh, were I just thought that that David Lynch would have a thing about like, oh, these are the people that we're honoring, like oh. as opposed to hmm. other things. Anyway, that was just me injecting my own garbage. I think I think if anything, it's David Lynch being actively anti-political, which he kind of is. Is he? Yeah, he doesn't. I mean, he doesn't like getting involved in politics for the most part, um, which obviously is from a privileged place. Sure. But the fact that he doesn't see it as being a political monument and he just sees it as faces in stone. That's fair. And I think he's a- appreciating the art of it mm-hmm. and not what it represents. And I think there's something to be said. It's there. a lesson for us all. No, I, yeah. I, mean, I, I that sounded sarcastic. Like, That's just like, my voice sounds like. It is a lesson. Like, it's an incredible feat to have carved that, and they look like the people they're supposed to look like. That's incredible. Do we need to do that? I don't know. No. Meanwhile, a whole is it thing. on? Is it on like land that is important to a right. lot of native people? Uh huh. It's super not great. Um, but there's, I, and this is actually one of the few times I really wish I could drop this sound clip in live, but when he does the misunderstanding of Karsik and Cossacks, Rosenfield's snapping at him, <laughs> you know, like, Karsik! Yeah! He's just so mad about it. We're not anywhere near Mount Rushmore. I brought a picture for you. There they are, Albert. Faces of stone. Agent Preston gets car sick. Albert, we're in South Dakota. Cossacks are in Russia. Car sick! <laughs> You need me to pull over. And, and then the guy, the driver, like, veers off the road for a second. It like, just is everybody who's ever dealt with somebody that they have all of the patience for. And then just every once, once in, in a, a while, while. Just, uh, too much. Oh, it's cursing. <laughs> and you know that. <laughs> Why would you think I'm talking about it? Like, I just, like, hear it in his yeah. head of, like, you know this like because like not only did you say oh Cossack sounds like Karsik got that part you built this whole other narrative about they're from Russia what do you think I, what did you think I fucking said to you man like like if if what he heard was Agent Preston yeah Agent Preston gets Karsik and you heard Agent Preston Preston gets Cossack that isn't even a real Agent sentence Agent Preston's Russian is that like that becomes the question? Not it's it's yeah it's insane. So stupid. Very good joke. Very genuinely that performance like made my heart kind of break for the fact that we lost. Um, excuse Alf, me, Albert. Al- yeah, yeah, Albert. Miguel. I can't. And Miguel Ferrer. I he just has. He's 
He was wonderful. I really he just has this way about him that character. I would even say. I'm just so glad we got him for this mm-hmm. entire series too. Yeah. Like, like I would even say that this version of him to me, I this version being the one in, in season three, mm-hmm. there is something about him that still has that like sharpness and that sort of like, but but he's older and tired he's and he's not even tired, but like. He's not going to take every fight that comes his way. Yeah. Which yeah. is, I think, a thing you and I both, like, have, you know, you've learned as you get older. Like, yeah. you don't need to just, dis- every time your mom says something pretty, d- not you, but the. Sure. And it's this true in, like, the political landscape and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. those young activists out there, good for you, man. Mm-hmm. Fight the good fight. But, fuck, man. I can't, I can't speak up at every fucking turn that mm-hmm. bothers me anymore. Mm-hmm. I just can't. It's we don't have the energy, we don't have the time, we don't have the money. To, right? Yeah. In theory, right now we should be rich enough to instead of having to march in the streets, just donate money. Yeah. But you know, boomers fucked everything up. Hot takes. Um. So so they're in the car. Uh, they find the contents of Dark Cooper of Mister C's trunk, which are. Cocaine, like a brick of cocaine, Mm -hmm. a machine gun, Mm -hmm. and a severed dog's leg. Yep. Yikes on bikes. I forgot about that. Don't look at our dog when we... It looked like Dottie's It did look exactly like the same size and color as if you cut off one of our dog's legs. I was just making sure she had all her legs. Oh, well, you know. She's even showing me that one. Yeah. She's doing a good job. Um, yeah, it was unsettling. I didn't care for it. And I do not, I want you to tell me, I do not remember if that pays off for any reason. Um, so they interview Cooper's doppelganger. And off the, I like this scene so much. And specifically, I like the lighting in this scene, which is not a thing I would normally ever notice. But there is something with how, specifically Albert and um, and uh, David Lynch Less so Tammy, but still, the way they're filmed shows, like, the texture of their skin well, in a way that makes me feel like... I mean, it's it's David Lynch. I'm glad he's lighting himself well. But it, it's sort of like... I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound pretentious. It's like honoring the age, mm-hmm. honoring the years that have passed mm-hmm. of, like, these guys aren't in their 20s and 30s anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and they and their face reflects that, but he lights it beautifully, which is, I think, a thing we as a culture yeah. need to be better well, about. So the way it's set up is like the the gate lifts or whatever. Mr. C is sitting a little bit above them, but his entire room is well lit mm-hmm. from every angle, like complete ceiling of overhead lights. Is light. it a cell? Basically. Okay. It's But it's like an interrogation type room. But okay. It's, it's I think, reminiscent of, like, Clarice interviewing sure. Hannibal Lecter. Sure. It's a room for this type thing. Um, but it seems like it's well-lit overhead of this just, like, LED light. And since they're sitting right at the window, the main light source is directly at their face. Mm-hmm. So everything behind them is almost black. Mm-hmm. And then their faces are just lit. And it, so it just pops. Yeah, it's just... And they get a lot of close-ups. A lot. I mean, it's a very uh, patient scene, is how I describe mm-hmm. it. Which, which I think, really says a lot for. It is used a lot for David Lynch, right? Like he's very patient mm-hmm. with his. Mm-hmm. But there is just something really grabbing for me. 
of like a like a however old maybe which is seven year old man mm-hmm. and you know uh, but and he's he's not ha- appeared to have had work done he's not sure. wearing a lot of makeup it's just this is what a man of this age right and like I think David Lynch is a pretty handsome and guy and like he wears his pants up over his belly oh my button. god he's an like, old guy yeah absolutely. totally but it, it's just I feel like David Lynch could easily slide into vanity of like he only lights himself like sure and and he doesn't and I think or, or Miguel Ferrer or Miguel Ferrer like listen Christabel is gonna Christabel be fine no matter what big, light they put on her but she's also like it's the scene is centered on Miguel and um, like center frame is the spot right between Miguel Ferrer and David Lynch, mm-hmm. which makes the fr- when you see the three shot of the three of the detectives, it means they're the focus and she's kind of off to the side. Mm-hmm. She's not as important. She's also you notice Miguel Ferrer and David Lynch never really break eyes with Cooper locked in in a way that's unsettling right and um christabel is constantly looking at all three of them Mm -hmm. she's constantly like i don't understand what's happening because she doesn't know cooper either Mm -hmm. so she doesn't understand what's happening and she's looking for reactions and trying to really like does this mean anything to you break out the whole scene and try to take it all in because none of this makes sense to her Mm -hmm. um and then uh, we'll. I'm gonna drop it. Drop in the part about um, when Cooper says it's very, very good. When Mr. C says mm-hmm. it's very, very good to the- meet you. It's you're very good to see you again, old friend. It's very, very good to see you again, old friend. The first very is right, right back. Which is which is yeah. It's so it's it's revig rev. Very you, good to see you. Now he I does, have that on tape, and I'm going to reverse it and okay. see how good you did. Very, but he does it. He does it really, really quickly, so you don't necessarily notice right away. But what I love is that a little bit later in the scene outside. Um, well, I would like to. Or, I know. I just want to know if you missed because they they throw it really quickly, so you may have missed it. Oh, I I wouldn't have noticed it until right. So you may and have also, like it. David Lynch's shit is always a little bit weird. Sure. So we're like, maybe that's a choice. Sure. But yeah, so it's very easy to miss. But then they give you a very, clue very easy to miss a little bit later when they're outside, and Lynch says to um, Albert, "Like, did you notice something weird about the way he was greeted?" And the line is specifically, "Yes, something was very wrong." I don't think he greeted me properly. If you take my meaning, no. He didn't. Something is very wrong. Yes. Albert, I hate to admit this, but I don't understand this situation at all. No. Do you understand this situation, Albert? Blue rose. It doesn't get any bluer. Hmm. And he even kind of hits the very a little bit, like Albert is saying very wrong. No, uh, Lynch so says. Albert says. Says yeah, something was something. Did did you notice something? Yeah, something was. Weird. And then I think it was Lynch who said. Honestly, I don't remember at this point. Okay. But I'm gonna drop it in. Somebody says, 
something is very wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like saying, go back at the greeting and look at very mm-hmm. being wrong. Mm-hmm. Look at the word very. The word very is wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a cool little clue that takes you back to, in, in case in, you missed it really, because it passes really quickly. Mm-hmm. In case you missed it, go back and give it a look. Which feels very anti-Lynch of like, if you missed it, you missed it. Fuck you. But it's a very vague clue. So you're about to say very, very good. <laughs> no, it's a very vague clue. So sure. Anyway, okay. Um, so they interview Cooper, uh, or they interview Mr. C. Um, he says that he was working undercover with Philip Jeffries um, since his disappearance, and he was on his way to inform Cole about his activities when he had his car accident. So. And then he says it again. Yes. Almost verbatim. In a... Everything is so. Lynch it loves sounds that. like he slowed down, and okay. I am talking very, very clearly. Oh my god! I'm so very, glad you brought clearly. that up. I have 13 questions about this scene. First of all, is his I don't voice? Think I have any. You have 13 questions. I have negative two answers. <laughs> is his voice digitally altered, or is he? It is that a performance? Like it. it seems like it, but it also seems like that could be because they're not talking to him face to face. They're talking to him through, through a speaker system, sure. and that could be a recording not coming through super clearly that's fair my other question is so we've only met philip jeffries in firewalk with me correct and that was jacked up like his presence there correct was not natural. he was already deep in some shit so when he says he's been undercover with philip jeffries do they what is okay what would that mean to david to uh gordon cole like is philip jeffries still alive in this universe is he not like if if he said i've been with philip jeffries for 25 years or whatever is gordon cole's immediate thought is jeffries died 20 years ago what the fuck are you talking about or like what do you think about that i think we don't know Okay. I think they're holding those cards close to this. I think Cooper and Jeffries have both been off the radar for a long time. But so, uh, I guess I could have asked we don't, that more we don't, clearly. We don't know what happened to them, okay. per se, but both of them have been off the radar. Okay, I guess that could have been my answer more clearly is, is like, obviously, David Bowie, the actor, is dead. Mm-hmm. In context, is Philip Jeffries around and like not necessarily around. okay but the same thing the same way we meet him in firewalk with me is he just pops up and they're like where have you been we've been looking for you where are you yeah. he pops up for a little while and then disappears again and then we don't know sure. so it seems that that philip jeffries is somehow lost in time okay yeah i think it's just a a strange and we learn more as this... Maybe this, it taps into this other world. Yeah, thing, we, so. we learn a little bit more about this Blue Rose Task Force, mm-hmm. which is Gordon Cole, Albert Rosenfield, Dale Cooper, Philip Jeffries, mm-hmm. as they examine these bizarre occurrences. So they're part of this whole task force. Mm-hmm. And we learn a little bit more about that later. Um but the assumption is we have not heard from Dale Cooper or Philip Jeffries for a number of years. Okay. That's the idea that I get. Uh, so on their way out of the prison or jail or whatever, Cole suggests 
giving Cooper his phone call and to keep him informed about it. So he says to like a cop outgoing, has he made his phone call yet? No. no. Yeah, Basically says record it and send it to James me. James Morrison, we see him a little bit more later. Uh, Cold- He's the guy who does most of the audio narration for the audiobook for oh, cool. um, Secret History of Twin Peaks. Cole dismisses Preston so that he and Albert can speak privately. Albert admits to Cole that he authorized Jeffries to give Cooper information about, quote, their man in Columbia several years before, after Philip said Cooper needed the information urgently. A week after he did this, that man had been killed. And that's where we saw... um, uh, Philip Jeffries from mm-hmm. he, he, that's with Columbia I think so okay um, no we saw him in Buenos Aires Argentina yeah so I don't know I don't know what Columbia yeah I don't know um, and this is this interaction was interesting because it feels like the first time we've seen Gordon Cole kind of scold somebody and he's like th- for the this is the first time they haven't been in control. Yes. Like he turns his thing way up so that they can whisper to each other. Oh yeah, that's another thing we didn't do that. They do a bit where he turns the thing yeah. up and then at one point like Albert like crushes gravel and yeah. he's like, Come on He doesn't say that, but that's right. Well basically what he says. he's like that's like daggers in my brain or whatever mm-hmm. he says. But like I think I have a theory. Like so we kind of learn, and this this gets established a lot in Firewalk with me. But these spirits or entities or whatever, this black, a lot of it travels through electricity. We kind of learn that as the show goes on. This mm-hmm. electricity is a conduit for mm-hmm. these beings, I guess. I think th- uh, Gordon Cole having that electric box feeding directly into his ears all the time hmm. makes him sort of a conduit for that's interesting everything that's happening which i think is why he always kind of has this sense of what is about to come interesting and this is just one of those moments where he's out of his depth he's not getting mm-hmm. anything and maybe and he's turned it way up and then i think that Doing that whole scene was just a reminder that, hey, these are here. Sure. To think about that. Um, But that whole conversation is just basically two people being like, I don't know what the fuck is going Mm -hmm. on. And also, I pointed this out as soon as the the scene happened, that it seemed to be filmed in daylight and It's just blue. And that's not a thing I have an eye for. So I was like, is this... And it's like, it's are they supposed to be saying it's dusk? Be, like, what am I looking at? Because they're talking about a Blue Rose case, which sure. they don't know about. But basically, that's what it looks like. And this is all digital, so I don't know. I mean, it had to be just done in a post effect or whatever. But if you there, there's if you're using a film stock to film something, there's indoor film and outdoor film. So if you're using daylight or tungsten, do you know light, if they used? Film? They didn't use film for it. David Lynch is, loves digital. Okay. So, but if you're using tungsten light, which is light bulbs and such, mm-hmm. big movie lights, there's a certain type of film you're supposed to use for that kind of light. 
and then there's a certain type of film you're supposed to use for daylight. Mm. If you use the opposite, if you use daylight film for indoors, indoors, it'll look orange. And if you use vice versa, outdoor film or uh, indoor film, indoor film, outdoor outdoors, it'll look blue. So you think he was trying to recreate? Basically, that look? it's that look. It's the same look that would happen if you shot tungsten film outside. Okay. Is this blue look? Okay. Um, but also, it's to make the statement of we're to build up to the line. It doesn't get any bluer. Yeah. They admit to each other that they don't understand the situation. They classify it as a blue rose. Then comes that line. Doesn't get any bluer. They also discuss a certain person to bring to Cooper, and Albert notes that he doesn't know where she lives, but he knows where she drinks. Albert, before we do anything else, we need one certain person to take a look at Cooper. I'm right with you. Do you still know where she lives? I know where she drinks. And then we end up once again at the Roadhouse. We have um, a band called Au Revoir Simone. They play music, uh, a song. Uh, they play a music. Mm-hmm. They play a song called Lark. And once again, we have three gorgeous, slender women who look extraordinarily disaffected. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just I don't know. I don't know if that's a direction he gives them, or this is just their performance, and that's just their shtick, and he likes that. I don't know what it is, but it was just like a bunch of really stunning, like clearly talented women, just sort of like, yeah, stoically, great band though, yeah. stoically standing and swaying. Very good. I liked that song. A and lot. so is the crowd. The crowd is doing the same thing, kind sure. of just swaying. Mm-hmm. And crowds. then you get starring Kyle MacLachlan and the. And that's it. Yeah. And so this, that really and truly caps off this four episode introduction to the new Twin Peaks. I feel like this is really and truly. Launching point? Yeah. We are introduced to just about everybody. I mean, there's still a couple other characters and a few characters from the original series that we. No, not even. I can't really think of like. Uh, well, we have the one person that they're just sure. implying. But, but we that- haven't actually met that person yet prior. So she's a new character. Like, I'm trying to think. I Oh, no, we haven't seen Big Ed. We haven't seen. Oh, yeah, that's true. Big Ed, Norma, Norma. we don't get. We saw. Um, uh, Mama Briggs. She comes in. Can yeah. We see Johnny Horn. Yeah, okay, there's a bunch. Because we, we've seen. Um, Audrey. Magic Amen made yeah. magic. We we saw her Same thing with James too and Freddie. We technically yeah. saw him, which we yeah. find out his importance later. Yeah, there's still there's still Yeah. But the old new stuff to come. Yeah, new the storylines are just about all laid out. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we oh. still haven't met the Mitchum brothers. No, I think I was gonna say they I was gonna prominent. agree with you. I think there's a lot. Yeah, there's still a lot. I, I would even say saying that there's like there's just a lot of characters in this series. A lot of characters and a lot of subplots happening yeah. that are hard to keep track of. Yeah. And I'm excited uh, again. We only I, met half of Hutch and Chantel. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well. Um. That is our oven ready for the pizza that we're about to put in it. So I guess that means we're done. Okay, um, bye. Oh, Mikey's <laughs> going to put pizza in the oven. Um, thank Delicious. you for listening. Uh, we will be back next week with um, not episode part five, five, part five. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks.
Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.